Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Critical Twits Gaming Podcast. Today we're going to go back to RPG basics and talk you through how to run a game. Hello again, I'm Brian Ennis. I'm Aaron Vinsky. I'm Joe Lewin. I'm Jeremy Myland. And today we are joined by two very special guests from our role-playing group. I'm Rob. And I'm Tash. Thank you very much for coming and joining us. Today we're going to be talking about how to run a role-playing game, how to be the DM, the GM, the storyteller, the keeper, whatever you want to call it, the person responsible for getting the game going. And we hopefully give you uh, some tips, uh, whether you are brand new or a wizened role-play wizard. <laughs> that sounded better in my head, actually. Sounds no. like molesting walruses to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so um, obviously we're talking about tabletop role-playing games. Yeah. This is the second of our role-playing game basic series. Last time we talked about how to build really awesome player characters. Yeah. But those player characters are nothing without a DM to run the game for them to participate in. Well, you could play in your own running around screaming obscenities at people in character, but it would be a bit weird. I'm not six anymore. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like performance art, maybe? Like some kind of Shia LaBeouf sitting <laughs> in the theatre wearing a paper bag, pulling your own teeth out kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it is worth mentioning that there are DMless games that are still role-playing games, like yeah. Goblin Quest and similar. Yes, yeah. We will be playing Goblin Quest at some point. I'm looking forward to that. And step away from the tabletop and you've got LARPs that function mostly without a DM. That's true. Yes. Which is mostly people running around screaming obscenities at each other. Mm. <laughs> no, With no, we were quite civilised. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> civilized. Some games don't let you hit each other. It's very disappointing. Never, I've never hit anyone in a, in a role-play game. Like how he emphasises that in a role-play game... I've punched a load of motherfuckers <laughs> in real life, <laughs> <laughs> What we thought we'd go through, first of all, is kind of the role of the uh, the DM. Uh, but first of all, obviously I mentioned a few at the beginning. Uh, DM being short for Dungeon Master. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming from the sort of Dungeons and Dragons side of things, hence the Master of the Dungeon. Yep. Why not the Dragon Master? Is it always Dragons dragon? can't be tamed, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> they are their own person, thing, creatures, stuff, mythical beasts. And, <laughs> and how often have we actually put dragons into dungeons? They, 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 they are awkward seems... to fit in, to be fair. Yeah, let's put the flying creatures underground. Yeah. The whole concept of the game is flawed. <laughs> Under... no. Multi-flawed. Yes, <laughs> tiered like a wedding cake. <laughs> <laughs> Or a bake-off if we want to be current. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, no, it's going to be one of those ones, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes the art is working out how much of the bullshit is mildly entertaining and how much of it you just need to throw in the bin. That's why I'm keeping it all. <laughs> so you might also know the DM by the abbreviation GM, short for Games Master, uh, but not floating, disembodied um, <laughs> astrologists. Yes. Then he called him an astronomer. Is that right? He's an astronomer, not an astrologist. That's He'll be one. spinning in his grave. Yeah, <laughs> I, thought, I did get it wrong. Oh, no. Poor chap. Rotating but, you know, like the Hubble telescope. Ty- <laughs> typical Sagittarius, really, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> rotate or just swivel? I dare say it rotates. I haven't... It checked, but I, I should imagine it runs on its long. Arctis on a postcard, win a biscuit. It's in orbit of something. In order to stay in geosynchronous orbit, it's having to turn relative to the sun. Yeah. 
I love the fact when you come on the podcast, Rob, because we get phrases just, just casually <laughs> added in, like, oh, in order to stay in geosynchronous orbit. <laughs> I've never said a phrase like that in my life. You just did. <laughs> 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 You're making your job harder, Jamie. <laughs> growing as a person. Um, but not as a podcaster. Yes, uh, you might also know Keeper uh, from Call of Cthulhu. Storyteller from the World of Darkness games. Um, but they're all essentially the same role around the table. While everyone else is playing their lovely player characters that you made last time that we talked, Ooh. the DM's role is to play pretty much everybody else and also to act as kind of the referee. So when questions about the rules... Um, come up it's their job to adjudicate to enforce the rules and also to partly to keep the game moving to make the game interesting and in theory to keep the game fair it's also their role to prepare the scenario or to pre-read whatever it is that they're playing and we will talk yeah. a bit about the idea of using something that already exists so like a source book or a campaign book or some add-on adventures versus um creating your own mm -hmm. um well that'd be quite interesting to hear from other people because i very very rarely myself use something pre-existing but we'll also talk a bit about why be the one to step up and be the dm what's the point of it is it fun i think so yeah. that's my favorite bit actually we'll talk because we've got not everyone around the table does run games but we'll get some feedback from players what do they want because we all play role-playing games so what do they want from a good dm and we'll talk about some of the do's and don'ts and the things that can help you, especially if you're running your first game, help it go really, really smoothly. Excellent. So um, let's go, go just go around the table just to discuss our experience of um, DMing so that you know why you should actually listen to us. We can establish ourselves as experts or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I first I ran my first game 18 years ago wow. uh, and I've been the main DM I would say for our group within our group um, yeah. over sort of the last 10 years or so um, it, it was very sporadic for the first sort of six or seven years of DMing though so it's really really a decade's worth of experience mm. Aaron I first ran my game in 1786 Excellent. no I've never DM'd and the whole concept frightens the life out of me still at the moment so I'm hoping this will boost some confidence in me yeah, you've said you've been tempted a yes. few times. Yes. So maybe we can push you over the edge in a nice way, not so deathy. Well, yeah, you don't want to do that straight away, otherwise my DMing will be horrible. We will act as the coiled bungee spring to prevent you from the certain death of DMing oblivion. Yes. That didn't work. Joe! <laughs> yeah, I have looked at DMing in the past. I was going to run a pre-built campaign. Uh, the Rise of the Rune Lords, actually, because we okay. played through it all. Yes. Um, for a group that kind of fell apart and lost interest. And I did attempt to run a game once we got about halfway through a session and people were being dicks, so we stopped. Okay. Maybe we'll be able to provide some tips. Cool. Jamie? Yeah, um, I think I th first d uh, DM'd back in about 2003 um, for D&D &D 3.5 and then transitioned to 4 for a little while when that came around. Joe um, just pulled a horrible face. Yeah, um, I'm not as averse to it as some people. Um, and then as soon as the cipher system came around, mm. I quickly transitioned to that. Um, and that's what I've been mainly running for the last three years. Ooh. Cipher system, which games? So cipher system started off in Numenera. Um, I've also uh, played in some strange campaigns and started 
uh, GMing one, but I still... That's Strange with a capital S. It yes. is the name the of strange. the setting and the game. <laughs> the Strange. Um, yeah, we've, we've all played some Strange campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I and then went straight back to Numenera because it's my preferred um, setting. Mm. It's perhaps a bit of a stretch then, but I'm going to say my first DMing experience was with Warhammer Quest mm. back when I was 12. <gasps> Ah, oh, Rob wins! <laughs> <laughs> then uh, sort of running games of Necromunda for my much younger brother and setting the scene, describing the action, starting there, doing mm. exercising DM skills, just not necessarily for a table full of players. Mm. Then wind on a decade later, and I dared to pick up because Brian was bored of DMing for a while and wanted to be a player, so I gave it a go. Mm. Yes. And much fun was had, apart from when you murder us all. And well, that that first session was a bit of a disaster. We'll get to that later. Yeah. We all ended up in the pub. And Rob, you might be able to answer this question. Um, I just realised, actually, when you mentioned Necromunda, uh, I think, actually, I don't know whether which came first, but I also did run quite a few games of Inquisitor. Um, but I'm not sure what year that came out. Inquisitor was 2000. Okay. Or thereabouts, shortly after Because it was pretty time, much on the lease, so actually my first experience would have been with Inquisitor, which is sort of like um, roleplay, but involved a lot of tabletop miniature um, combat as well. To be fair, so did our early uh, mm. roleplays. We used to use a lot of miniatures in our Yeah, we, might, we, might, we might talk about that, he says, adding it to the list. <laughs> I have to admit, when I used to play Warhammer 40k, it constantly kind of evolved into a slight role-playing session between whoever I was playing it with. Yeah, there'd be backstories to each of the, uh, the units that were fighting and they'd be discussed. Yeah, and I think that's because yeah. storytelling is a natural part of mm. how people sort of interact. Tash, what about you? Do you have any experience DMing? We know that you're you're our newest tabletop player. Yeah, so no, I have no experience with DMing. The closest I've got is uh, role-playing online where I have multiple characters and it's sort of halfway between DMing and playing, being player character. Um, so it, there's been times where I've been tempted because I'm, I like quite like having multiple characters to play, but I'm still getting used to it. So for now, I'm sticking to player characters. Just, just do what Colin does and have each of them have multiple personalities that can erupt at any point. <laughs> <laughs> the weasel might get a bit more interesting. Excellent. I do like the weasel. I'm enjoying the weasel. Never thought I'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, adding uh, Barry to the NPC. If, if, if you can keep that, we can add it to the other clip where you talked about wanting to shave a weasel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could we could have a, a thing. So if a you find it, us, I'd quite like to shave a weasel. I think it'd make interesting noises. I believe the exact quote I've got somewhere. Jesus, what do I say? Um, I think it could be quite fun. People listening, if we um, if we if you see us at a convention. A Bring us a show. weasel and a biscuit. <laughs> just, just let yourself be known to us by telling us that you enjoy the weasel. We will know that you are one of us. Or but... we'll be thoroughly confused until the next day. Yes, yeah. And no, we'll fan go... shirts. Fan shirts. Yes! <laughs> enjoy like, the weasel puns. with an exclamation mark. be the weasels. I tried to make them the Twit Army, but that, that was, was too football-y. And yeah. You got upset. You well, didn't particularly it's a like it. It's a... No, Colin didn't like it. I thought it was all right. Cool! Democracy wins, Aaron, leave! Damn it! You <laughs> die! You die! You die! <laughs> but can we it's call 10 people an army? Mm. We actually have 100 subscribers now. We have a unit. We have a decimus? <laughs> That's 10. A cent- yeah. Yeah. yeah, a century. Yeah. A century. Mm. 
Yes, they could be centurions. We could upgrade them. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we'll, we don't know how many people listen on iTunes because we have no data from that. So yes, yeah. so could if you if you listen to us on iTunes, thank you. Um, let yourself be known somehow. Send a smoke signal. Shave shave a message into a weed. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Right, um, right. Onwards with the show, everybody. So the DM, as I said, kind of acts as the referee. Um, the guide and the other characters that the the players will meet. I always feel when I'm running a game that I'm kind of like the host. There's kind of the responsibility for people's fun and enjoyment kind of sits with the DM. Do you you guys agree with that? Yeah, I'd say your host, director, narrator and set dresser. Mm -hmm. Think of movie terms. Yes. Yeah, yeah, to be honest. Because you, you describe the environment... You describe what other people are doing. You decide what the rest of the cast is doing. Yeah. Mm. And it's just your protagonists, your heroes, depending on the terminology, of the game played by the other players. Yeah, you just got to hope, as a contrast to most actors, that they're really good at improv. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah there's definitely... I mean, there is element of improv in all of tabletop role-playing. Yeah. That's the fun of it. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I suppose the biggest weight of that can fall on the DM because your players can definitely surprise you um, <laughs> and go off in very unusual directions. Certainly for a starting DM, I think that's the most intimidating aspect. Yep. Yeah. Would you yeah. say that, Aaron? Yeah, you... definitely. I mean, if if running a campaign out of a book was, they do this, 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 and this, mm-hmm. yeah, it wouldn't be so, so daunting because I'm used to playing characters, so I can make up several at a time. That's not necessarily that much of a problem. But then to go, right, we're going to go face off in this dungeon. No, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go wander off into that town over there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've not looked at anything on like that. Cool. I'm going to have to make stuff up on top of my head. I offer it's the full goblin of weasels. a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Each weasel has a message shaped into it saying, go back to the other place. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's kind of that, that feeling that you're, you're very much in charge. But also you're not. You're, you're slightly powerless. Because if the players, as you say, decide to go and do something else... Um, a good DM will have to sort of run with that yeah, and, and deal with that. Um, reminds me of teaching. You provide yeah. a framework, but if the students decide to set each other on fire and jump out the window, there's not a lot you can do. Laugh and enjoy the flames. Yes. <laughs> no plan ever survives contact with the enemy. No, and this is, this is a, an <laughs> Students thing. the enemy? I was thinking more in terms of DMing. I was the trying to stay on topic. <laughs> We'll talk about viewing your players as the enemy later. Um, Which is why I'm foreshadowing another DM skill we'll talk about later. (laughs) This is the thing, actually. Any kind of storytelling technique, so characterisation, foreshadowing, plotting, all of those sorts of things do apply to to DMing. Mm. Um, And as someone that writes stories, Mm -hmm. mostly short stories because books are scary and I get bored halfway through, I found what I've learned at the gaming table to be very, very valuable. And also what I've learned sitting on my own, pressing buttons on a screen, occasionally weeping into my hard drive, has <laughs> come back the other way and has helped, hopefully helped make me a better DM. I can't judge that, but I had fun. So have we, I hope we haven't made that sound too intimidating because those of you that DM, do you like DMing? Do you like running role-play games? Yes, mm, absolutely. Um, yeah, I actually prefer, in a way, um, DMing or GMing to, to playing sometimes. I know, I'm still a player first and foremost. Mm. I enjoy DMing when I have a story to tell or to set to you that I think people will enjoy. When I think I can be entertaining, mm. I will enjoy being a DM. 
but the pressure of maybe having to do it all the time. If it was just we, yeah, you know, we want you to run this. I go well. I have had that situation, but uh, and after an A4 list of what the players really wanted, came up with something very, very different. <laughs> because otherwise, I wasn't going to enjoy running. <laughs> And it has to be fun on both sides of yes, the DM screen. Yeah. I find almost sometimes, though, that um, role-playing NPCs mm. um, is almost a bit more liberating sometimes than um, actually role-playing your own character. I think maybe because they're slightly more disposable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just about to say, is it because that you've got that throwaway element to them that if you go, oh, I shall do this thing and I can be a complete arse and yeah. if someone doesn't like yeah. it and shoots me in the head, it's dead and I can yeah. make another one? Possibly. Yeah, like, like I'm not going to build characters. I'm not going to build. I'm not going to build a character that's going to be really hyperactive because I know every week I'm never going to be able to keep that up because I'm too mm-hmm. tired. But a one-off NPC, yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah, you yeah. can. Sometimes your NPCs only have kind of like their screen time, if you like, their mm. moment in the spotlight for a session, half a session, one encounter. Mm. And yeah, it can be really liberating to make crazy Eddie who puts babies on spikes. That's not my joke. Um, but you can, you can do something really, really sort of over the top mm. because you don't have to worry about party cohesion like mm-hmm. we talked about in our last episode. Yeah. You don't have to worry about keeping up a 17th century Belgian accent for the next six months <laughs> of the campaign. Yeah. You can just really ham it up for a session and then... Quite often the players will shoot something, set it on fire. <laughs> um, that is the other side of it, though. When you make an NPC that you really like and the players don't, yeah. or they turn again, or they go, mm, the king is looking the other way. I set him on fire. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I like that guy. If, every time there's mention of a particular NPC mm. you don't like, Fucking Tethys, the wizard. <laughs> he was a prick. <laughs> uh, was he a prick in a, like a, a good way, in an interesting way? Because you can enjoy a character without liking a character. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah so no, if you have a strong have... reaction to something, like Joffrey is a great character in yes. Game of Thrones, he is, but he's yeah, a he dickhead! Is. Yeah. He is. Uh, no, I, I felt this was just... Um... Someone you hated. Yes. <laughs> um, there were there were many things about it that... Annoyed. Being a main quest NPC, one of the people that would have an exclamation mark on their head if they were online, <laughs> those ones that you can't stab... Um, then um, yeah, I, I just I just felt he was more of a hindrance than anything else, and to to the enjoyment of the setting. Yeah. When it comes to enjoying NPCs and portraying them, when I'm playing a PC, I want to create a character with depth, with consistency, and I might have a really good idea halfway through the week and go, "Oh, I'd love to do that," and but it doesn't work with this character. Mm. With a DM, who cares? I will just bring in a character with that element or stick it down the list for later and I'll throw them at you in five months' time. Yeah, so you can... There's more variety as a DM sometimes. It's really good to get into the mind of a character, really get to know a character. Like Mouse, who we talked about before. Mm. I played that character for two years. Almost. Not consistently every week, but probably 18 months of that time we were playing that one Mm. campaign. We had a break in the middle and I ran something. We needed one, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really knew that character inside out mm. and it was great to have built this very realistic feeling persona but sometimes you want to have the uh, the black knight of death who um, likes to set everything on fire and speaks only in an atonal mumble because that would be quite, quite a cool character and you play that character for an hour and then they die because the encounter's over and it's fine and you've got you can mm. use your ideas yeah yeah I- Again, going on, going on things, especially like you said with voices, 
and stuff. Mm. I'd have loved uh, Faeron, my half-dragon paladin sorcerer of amazingness, of armor class, basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> paladin. As, as he became more and more dragon-like to talk in a much more kind of voice, but it would have killed me to do it consistently all the time. Yes. But well, having, he, he was an NPC. He was the baddie that would go, I will crush all of you now. And then it, th- then you fight him and he goes away. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, the two sides of it. So, DMing is actually my favourite bit of the game. Um, most people will be players first to get an idea of what works uh, for them and how the game works. It can be intimidating to step in and, and DM, as Aaron said. Yeah. Um, but I, as Rob said, you consider yourself a player first. Mm. I'd probably consider myself a DM first. Mm. But it is really good to be able to get out of the DM's chair every now and then and play. Because sometimes you can use perspective on what it's like to be a player. Absolutely. And how those situations feel from the other side of the table. A great example of that, actually, and I remember you commenting recently, is mm. when we played Mutant the first time, you ran it, yeah. and we always were going, oh my god, this game's so hard. And you laughed. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're playing it, you've had moments of going, oh my god, this game's so hard, because yeah. it, it is, and it I is... I think I turned around to you in the car the other day, when we were discussing it, coming, yeah. after we finished the session, going, my god, was I this mean? <laughs> you were like, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You made us interact with the environment and we nearly died every time. <laughs> we are perfect in that game as long as we don't have to cross running water. Yes. Um, running the game is my favourite thing. I like being the different characters. I like coming up with something crazy. I like surprising my friends with the stories that I tell and the mm. twists and the turns. And I kind of like being in charge. <laughs> being something of a control freak. As we've mentioned in previous podcasts, a control geek, I think I was termed yes. at one point. Um, yeah, being knowing, being being the person responsible for sort of pacing and making sure that everyone's involved and everyone's joining in, which you can't do as much as a player. An interesting thing, actually, because uh, I feel exactly the same way. And as a career, we're both teachers. So maybe there's something relating back to that in the fact, you know, wanting to sort of be in control, but also being comfortable um, having a group. <laughs> yeah, so I do sometimes feel like because there is an element of teaching involved and cat herding. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> I do Literally make... in Gen Lab Alpha. <laughs> 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 um, because quite often the person running the system will be the only person completely savvy with that mm. whole system, um, or you'll be the one introducing people to it. So when we played Mutant for the first time. Did you have a book, Rob? Had you bought it as well? Or did you buy it later after we got into it? I got the damaged copy that you first picked up at Dragon Meat. Ah, yes. And then inhaled it. Yeah, Rob Rob does this thing of inhaling the rule books and then I just ask him. He's like our roleplay version of Joe with card games and miniature games. Um, Yeah, so you probably were more comfortable with the rules of that game than I was. But for everyone else, you're, you're, you're kind of guiding them and teaching them. Mm. You're helping guide them through um, making their characters and what can, those, their abilities can do. Something I like to do as a player, actually, if I don't know the system, is as long as I've got a hook, go, I want to be this or I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I let the DM just tell me what I should take to do it. Well, that this is one of the things that I've, I've explained to other people that haven't done anything like this mm. before. I've gone, oh, I'd be kind of interested, but I've never never even looked at anything like it. Is That's actually kind of a nice place to be in. Mm. 
So what would your character do? Rather than going, oh, well, I'd need this test and then to roll this thing and then to do it. To be able to just go, oh, I want to jump over the thing and stab him. And for the DM to go, cool, this is what you need to do to achieve that. Mm-hmm. It's also yeah. worth saying that some games, I think, have smoother rule sets and are more new DM friendly. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, we, we said that we considered Mutant to be new DM friendly. Yeah. Um, something yeah. like that's more rules heavy with more of a sort of wargaming aspect or a wargaming heritage like a Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. game probably needs a bit more work from the DM just to smooth people into it. Definitely. But if you're already playing these games as a player, it's actually quite easy to step across, I've mm-hmm. found. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. What I was trying to get at about seven minutes ago when I started talking was it's really nice to have... If you're always the GM and you've got to create something every week and entertain people every week, it can become not a burden, but quite stressful. Thinking, mm. oh, I need a, I need a session, or um, I need to do this, or I need to do that, or what am I going to do tonight? I haven't got a clue. Um, and it's nice to be able to pass it round like we've been doing and mm. let other people sort of run the game um, and take, take control. Colin, who has died yeah. um, and is currently decomposing in Rob's bath... Um, no, no, I put him on that train. Oh, yes, yeah. Colin, who's dead on a train somewhere, stuck <laughs> in the country. He he sometimes DMs as well. Hmm. But and he'll... we get a very different story mm. to anything that you or I, I think, would create. Mm. didn't realise yeah. he did the, he's DMs as well. He does crazy yeah, things. Yeah. 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 Mental. I imagine. In, yeah. If you imagine his character, but every single person in the world is like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow. Sounds like it could be interesting. <laughs> we didn't get the, the last horror we didn't campaign get... type stuff. Yeah. Isn't it? What's yeah. great is that I like to run something quite long. I like a long mm. campaign. Yeah. Uh, many, many sessions mm. strung out, an ongoing story, recurring characters. Colin does kind of um, Twilight Zone style um, mm-hmm. things where you'll play two or three games and it will be absolutely crazy, but you couldn't do that every single week. Yeah. Uh, because it would just be too much for everybody. But as like this little palate cleanser, if you like, he does some amazingly crazy games, yeah. which I always seem to win. And I know we don't talk about winning in role-play games, uh, but normally the campaign, Colin's campaigns with the end with everybody else dead. <laughs> he's still alive, so I count that as winning. So as people who have been DMs and that have been talking a lot, um, one of the things I, I think that good DMs do and it will make your life easier if you're a first time DM is to discuss with your players what kind of game they want mm-hmm. what kind of things they're looking to get from the game do they want a combat heavy game do they like suspense, intrigue do they like horror or will you gross someone out um, are there any kind of themes and things that people don't want you to include like anything too sexy yeah, that can be. Some people don't like that, and that's fine. But you don't want to be halfway through role playing a sexy moment for someone to clam up and run out the room. Or <laughs> that sounded weird when I used the word clam up. <laughs> <laughs> but what I thought we'd do is just to continue in that, and just to give you an idea of how that might work, is to ask the people who are predominantly players, what would you want from a good DM, or what do you think makes a good DM? Just a, just a couple things. Probably because I'm a bit too lazy to bother reading an entire manual. Um, I prefer people to try to tell me for it. I like a DM to give me a decent uh, world setting, even if it's from a campaign, but something they made themselves, so I feel grounded. 
I need to know how things work in, in a way in a world to be able to create a character properly in there. So um, like a lot of sort of background detail, and then you can find your hook to make your character yeah, and, and hook into yeah. the world. Like crunchy the, fluff. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> um, the Call of uh, Cthulhu campaign that I joined in late, where I think I took over. S- as somebody's brother, I think it might be yours. Yeah, Joe couldn't play anymore, yeah. and you came yeah. in and his as his brother, and he was missing. Yeah. There was obviously some, there been some several sessions before mm-hmm. I joined, so there was a bit of history to it in essence. Yeah, and you went through all the things that had happened in there, or the other campaign it was kind of based on, gave it a big history and stuff, and I felt really grounded in in that. You probably yeah. knew more than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt like that. <laughs> <as I went. laughs> yeah, I mean that sort of game can thrive on people not knowing. Quite knowing what's going yeah. on, but if you go, yes, you are people in a place, make a character. What? Yeah, because you've got that infinite possibility. Mm. And we talked about that with player characters as, as well, didn't we? Yeah, uh, last. Time. Do you remember the Paris game? I used the World of Darkness setting for. <laughs> I liked that Paris game. I had an amazing character. Yeah. Well, I thought he was amazing. I enjoyed him. I've still got all the notes. It started off as a one shot to introduce you guys to the mechanics of the system, yeah. and then just exploded into a whole yeah multi um well international story in my head and i went right I'll write all this down and we could eventually go back to it but everyone else has probably forgotten too much it was about six years ago yeah. <laughs> the bit that got me was when we were talking about character creation and i was saying oh it's yeah it's this era it's turn of the century this is the king and all the rest right imagine yourself to be a late medieval character make someone like that oh and they're french <laughs> and two of the players threw their sheets down went I can't do that <laughs> and so it wasn't late medieval period that threw them it wasn't the feudal system it wasn't the lack of electricity or the poor hygiene it was no. the fact that they were French yep They're just latent racism <laughs> one went it's always on to, a barrier one went on to play a Swiss mercenary for two <laughs> sessions before I wrote him out <laughs> and this is uh, just one thing just before we bounce on to someone mm-hmm. else is that you say like the things explode when you're when you're sort of making the story. As DM, you, the burden of creation isn't just on you. If your mm. player comes to you and says, "I've got this awesome idea for a character, and I think this and this, and his father's been missing for seventeen years, and still he searches the nighttime streets of Prague, desperate to find his missing progenitor." Well, that sounded good. <laughs> yeah. um, you could go. That's a plot hook. You can immediately include in your game. Yeah, you can yes. start building off of that, oh, well, and it embeds people into the into the setting. Oh, yeah. well, actually, it's one thing I found quite interesting um, playing uh, Mutant Year Zero um, has been the kind of mechanic of having um, the players create an NPC, and then obviously the the GM um, sort of subsuming that NPC and taking taking on that character yeah. and messing with them and messing with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's actually quite killing them. I'm good at that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that asks you to build or, or to name an NPC who you care about and want to protect, and one you don't like. Mm. Um, and especially at the beginning of the campaign, they're brand new people, and it populates the GM's mm. uh, world for them. Yeah, uh, and takes again some of the burden. It's something I really like, and I'd recommend including. It's something like that in any game. Yeah, definitely. It's something we've done more. When we started out, yes. thinking back a decade, yeah. scary thoughts. Um, 12 years, 12 years yeah. yeah. When we first rolled We left together. virtually all of the creation to you. Yeah. Then we went to creating character backgrounds where we could hint at things that you could then use. I used to offer 
when we used to do Dungeons and Dragons uh, 3.5, I used to offer a level's worth an of XP. entire level of XP if you wrote me a page character background. Because it gave me as a DM, it, it eased my burden. And it made your characters interesting. Mm. It meant you'd thought about it. So you weren't just, I am Jeff the Mercenary. You are Jeff the Mercenary whose mother never loved him and who hates orcs because they picked on him at school or whatever it might be. And has also created a mercenary faction or mercenary yeah. company that could be involved in the politics or the military aspects and has an impact on the world. Yes. And that's... A creation that the GM hasn't had to do. You mentioned Tethys earlier, Joe. <coughs> the healthy, really hated. What we could do these days, we'd probably turn around and go, "Well, you've, cr- yeah, you've created this Elven bloodline. Tell us about it." Rather than the DM making everything out of whole cloth, it would be, "Who's the bigwig? Who's the real knob that everyone hates?" And you'd be able to do that creation as a player. It's referred to in some books as um, the offer, where a player makes a suggestion and the DM takes it up or not. Mm. Yeah. Some of the t- sometimes it's worded as seeming quite intimidating that as a DM you're going to have to really roll with it, but it's still a good idea. It's still collaborative, so mm. your player might come up with something mm. that's really interesting, but you're still going to expand and shape and work with that with that player. So yeah. well, when I started out DMing, I wanted you know right this is my vision, this is it. As I've gone on and relaxed more, player offers and ideas work so much better. Yeah. Because it keeps you guys interested. You're immediately invested. Yeah. So when you said you want lots of crunch and fluff, you want to know that all the background, increasingly, as I've got more experience as a DM, I'm creating less of the background. I go, this is the area they're in. This is how much you need to know. And I will then answer any questions as you go or let you guys build it. You know, yeah. I, I'm from the farm over here. It's all arable land. It's flat as a pancake. It's dull. I want to be an adventurer. There we go. You've just created an entire biome for me just there. Yeah. Which, let's say, for, as a new DM, I went, oh, right, control freak. I need to know this. I need to know this. I need to know this, this, and this. It took yeah. me ages to feel ready for my first campaign. Mm. It doesn't need to be that way. No. Let definitely. the players do at least half the work for you. Yes, yeah, definitely. What would you like to see in a DM, Joe? Uh, things I particularly enjoy in a DM. Um, I'm not as fussed about there being all the background. I'm happy for that to to come out later but I think in a very similar way I like a consistent setting we have played through some things I think Rise of the Rune Lords did this a little bit where it kind of jumped theme fairly frequently or every in, chapter yeah, yeah. Really. Uh, there was the horror adventure and then the, that was amazing yes that's the best bit yeah um, but then there was also the trekking through the wilderness adventure and yeah. the enormous three conjoined dungeons adventure and it was very totally inconsistent yes <laughs> yes it was and I and that can get on my nerves a little bit because yeah. it's it breaks the immersion yeah like if you're going oh it's, oh, it's horrible and gritty and everything else and then you're doing some slightly daft thing in the next chapter or the yeah next I'm with bit. you on that and you mm. just kind of go what doesn't this... mean you can't include humour. No, 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 no. Humour is humor is very good, but it has to fit the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's it. And and, and I think the, the the story is important. Um, but you don't have to have it all. Like you see, don't, it doesn't have to all be etched out in stone straight away. Or it'd be etched in metal, carved in stone, but still. <laughs> um, 
Cool. Anyway, Tash, what do you like in a DM? <laughs> uh, I like a DM who knows the rules um, and can figure out ways to bring me into it because I'm still new at it. There's, I'm used to having time to think about what I'm doing and sort of going, okay, I've got you know a few hours or a few days before I have to reply. Whilst at tabletop, it's I've got to think on the spot and my brain is trained to be a bit slower at the moment. So it's for a start, it's still um, liking someone to go, okay, your char- your character is here. What do you do? Um, okay, I'm not. I have to think of something at that point, rather than you know everybody's talking and everybody's doing something, and I'm sitting there going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sit here and be silent. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like an offer. It's like and quiet player in the corner. What are you doing while they do that? Yeah, and just bringing everyone into the game. Mm-hmm. I think is a great yeah. a skill. A great DM. Um, we'll have some players are less likely to push themselves into the spotlight. Mm. Me as a as a player, I know I have a tendency to be the other way. I'm going to go me first. Look, I can talk. I'm important, and I try not to. <laughs> I, I, Joe's I, nodding to the point his head falls. I have a rule where I count to five before I do something weird. Can you teach Colin to do that? No, no we lose all our good moments. Um, <laughs> But yeah, if, if no one's doing anything, it might just be because they're thinking and not because nothing's happening. So I try to just go, okay, I'll, I'll do this then. There yeah. are also players that don't want to be the spotlight. They're along for yeah. the ride. Yes, we, ha- we have a, a player that used to be a member of our group regularly and occasionally shows up um, who is very much like that, who just sort of is almost there. They have a character and they join in at the moments they choose. But he's quite seems, and from talking to them, they're happy mm. just to kind of observe and be involved. Good. It's like almost like the difference between it's almost a bit like they're they're watching a story unfold, yeah, rather than actively wanting to take it over. I think that's another nice skill for them to have as well to be able to identify much in the ways you would have to, with with teaching. You would have to identify what students need, what type of learning. Mm-hmm. It's what students want, what type of involvement, mm-hmm. and you don't want to be going. You you make all the decisions and be the party leader if they're going to go. No. I have to admit to something I did once, which may not have been in keeping with this. I had... (laughs) Poor Dave. (laughs) (laughs) I had four um, people I'd role-played with regularly for a long, long time, and someone's brother who came along for his first role-play, and... Um, hadn't wasn't really sort of that confident and hadn't really joined in that much. And part of the uh, ritual in their country was when you decided it was time for you to be an adult, so you were going to accept responsibility, you would go to the Excalibur Sword in the so- Stone style place. And be, it was it turned into like a tourist attraction and people were selling like pies and, uh, <laughs> and stuff. But you just had this queue of young people and it was like a big thing that you'd go and you'd go and try to pull the sword out doesn't come out but you've shown that you're ready if possible you are an adult you could be the king you've accepted the responsibility for the whole country therefore you can take responsibility for being an adult yourself Mm. and so i put a pringles can held it in the middle of the uh, thing other cans are available um (laughs) and held it in the middle of the uh, the table and got them all to come over and pull it and tug on it and, and try to get it out and i was like no it's not going it's not going it's not going dave was last because Dave was the quiet player and he didn't have the confidence. 
and he grabbed the Pringles can and pulled and I let go and he nearly fell out the back of his seat. <laughs> and then I was like, there is stunned silence and then 3,000 people take a knee and look at you. <laughs> and he's like, what? What? Um, but that actually, I think, helped him blossom. It gave him something yeah, that played. was his and he really got into yeah. and he really enjoyed. So yeah. sometimes it you can play around with that. Test the boundaries. Knowing your group helps as well. Yes, yeah. That's a big... That's one of my favourite role-play moments. <laughs> Just the look of sheer horror on his face. Like, I'm in charge now. Yeah, I think that would have been pretty much the sort of look I'd have had for a start. Yeah. I've gained confidence rather quickly. Yeah. Um, so my second character... In so, your second so character's a cocky shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm having so much fun yeah. with it. Those who listen to our Mutant Gen Lab Alpha review... Um, Sadly, Tash's squirrel is no more. Um, but you're now playing a weasel who is, I really like the weasel and is really sort of outgoing, very different yeah. to, to how you were playing before. Cool. Yeah, I think just, just one thing to say is don't be afraid to talk to your players and ask them. And it's that thing of it, it's not competitive, it's cooperative. Use your players, mm-hmm. use their knowledge and their, their quirks and their desire to have fun and work with it. And they can actually feed you. One thing I do a lot is I listen to the players when they're discussing what they're going to do and what's happening. I listen, I listen in. And if they have a better, an idea that's better than my idea, I'll steal it and re- rearrange what I'm doing <laughs> or take it, twist it, make it slightly different, combine it with what I was going to do and get something new and uh, more interesting. But the players will never know that you took it from them. They might feel clever that they think they've second guessed you. Mm. Well, you actually, well, actually, you mentioned that to Joe earlier and I nicked it. No. But you're going... Oh, I guess what was going to happen next? It's like, it wasn't going to happen next to you guessed, Aaron. <laughs> I have to admit, there have been a few occasions when that's probably happened. Where yeah. I've gone, oh, that was really clever. And you've gone, yeah, no, I'll just do it on the spot. I can vouch for the fact that sometimes I've thought I'm clever, but no, I just yeah. wasn't paying attention when someone else mentioned it. Yeah. But again, <laughs> it, it helps with the engagement. You feel more pulled in at that point in time. Because... Yeah. And it's that thing of, you know, I've had um, players go, they're creeping through the dungeon and they go, they're at the door and they go, I really hope it isn't that guy we met earlier. Oh, I hate that guy. And you go, it might not be that guy. It wouldn't make sense. But you go, bring that guy back because they've had an emotional reaction to <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. They're engaged with it. Lucretia. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. I'm still annoyed we didn't go back at the end of Rise of the Rune Lords and go deal with her. That was all your fault. Yeah, recurring villains can be great. <laughs> um, that character still makes me angry. Yes, but that—that's an example of a character I hated, but was a very good character. Mm. Yes, you—you hate—you didn't hate the DM for putting the character. No, in. You hated no. the character as an in-character reaction yeah. to "Oh my God, you're ruining our things and stealing our toys, and it's not good." Yeah, yeah. but very much appreciated it—the character itself being in the yeah. game. I suppose one thing we can talk about next then is your props, your tools, all your DM trappings and gubbins, and all those kinds of things. Uh, we mentioned that when we first started, we used a lot. We used a grid. Uh, we were playing mostly when we started 3.5 D&D, which is now essentially Pathfinder. Fifth yeah. edition's coming back into a similar sort of style. Yeah. Fourth edition, you had to have some kind of mm-hmm. grid, which I don't like because mm-hmm. it forces you to use it. But it was really good, especially when we were learning how to play and we were getting started. You didn't need to try and visualise the whole combat scenario in your head. It was out there in front of you and it Mm. made things a lot easier. Um, So if you're playing something combat heavy and you're not comfortable with that, maybe using some maps and things like that. I still like to do that. The last 3.5 campaign, I 
started dreaming up, I went and bought a new grid and a load of models with the sole intention of using oh. them for that. Well, let's play that then, Rob. Well, we, we were. Then we stopped for four weeks when I couldn't DM. We went to Pathfinder and didn't go back to it. Uh, yeah, this happens a lot. We're, we're, kind of, we're kind of magpies sometimes. We get distracted by the shiny. Yeah, but they're not necessary. I have to admit, there's sort of having a layout of where things are for during combats would be quite nice as my sense of direction and thing is awful. So I'm yeah. usually we're in the middle of a battle and it goes, Tash, what do you do? And I'm like, uh, where am I in comparison to everything else? Yes. As one of our players used to say, what is the tactical situation? <laughs> Every time it was their turn for about five years until one of the other players threatened to set him on fire. <laughs> That's a very different um, issue. Um, Thinking back, actually, when I very first started with 3.5, we didn't use maps, models, markers, anything like that. Okay. So then when I came to gaming with you guys, yeah. and we did, it made everything so much clearer. The combat rounds were going faster because you didn't have the yeah. tactical question. It was just, oh, I'm there. There's some crates drawn there. Brian, can I run up the crates, leap over the line of skeletons and get to the necromancer that way? The answer was yes. I felt so accomplished when I made that <laughs> roll. Yeah. Cool, yeah. But one thing you lose if you're too rigid is... You know, if the player goes, oh, could I try this? Or is there one of these? If you've got a map, no, because mm. you've not drawn it. Yeah. If you haven't and you think it's a good idea, you can go, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Mm. Yeah. Jamie, you've mentioned you used Roll20, uh, which is a website you can yep. DM through and play an actual full roleplay game through um, over the internet. Um, which does use a map system, doesn't it? It can. Like, um, it can. Yes. So, yeah, I've been, I've been using Roll20 for... Most of my um, Cypher System games, um, especially Numenera, uh, I started off, we started off around the table, mm. um, but it turned out that the group found it quite difficult to meet up regularly, yeah. so so thought we'd give it a try uh, online, and actually it turned out really well. Uh, Roll20 has pretty much all the kind of tools baked in that you might need to get started DMing or GMing online, and yes, it does include uh, a maps element, and you can create tokens... Um, for pretty much anything you'd like. It's got some really nice systems where you can you can switch on a grid system if you want, or you can just have it freeform. Yeah. Um, personally, when I tend to do combat, I sometimes do it one way and sometimes do another. So I will just use a kind of near, short, far, distance, and kind of leave it up to everybody to imagine what's going on. Yeah. But... That said, there are occasions where you do have kind of a pre-planned scenario or uh, encounter um, where there is a very kind of specific layout for maybe something to happen. Yeah. Um, so therefore, I find in that case, a, a map is really useful. Yeah. Um, and again, the, the way that Roll20 works is that the, it actually gives you a few features that would not be possible in the real world or would be much more difficult, such as like almost like Fog of War that you'd get in like a tactical um, sort of strategy PC game. Yeah. Uh, where you, know, you can you can sort of fake it on the table, like covering parts of the map. Yeah. But you can actually have it where, because each person is only seeing their view, so because yeah. they're on their PC screen. Okay, So yeah. if their party gets split, they're they still only a... seeing their bits. And they might not know where the others are. Oh, totally. that's which really, is quite that's cool. cool. Yeah. 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 So. I have done something when we, uh, Aaron's first role play mm. uh, with us, um, where you were going through 
space immigration on <laughs> yeah. Mars. Yeah. Uh, it's on Mars. It's on the moon, sorry, the moon, it? Yeah. moon yeah. colonisation. Um, and so you're all in the queue, so you were talking, and then an official came out and went, right, you, interview. And I <laughs> took that player into the kitchen. Yeah. Awesome. And then... I put them in a different room, came back and sat down. And everyone was like, Where's, where, where have they gone? Yeah. And then I just went, five minutes later, someone else comes, right, you, out there, and took someone else off. Um, Three of us ended up in the kitchen. Yes. In the holding yeah. cell. Yeah, in the holding cell. <laughs> gave very, very dodgy answers. But yeah, it's much easier online to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, we've recently, I mean, we, we interviewed and talked to the creator of Sirenscape, mm. which is a soundscaping system. Music can be really good to help set and keep a mood in a role-playing game. If used badly, it can completely destroy the mood. <laughs> yes. yeah. um, especially if you're you're getting to that climactic moment of the final battle, and then um, the music from the ukulele. And... Yeah, or you get you get uh, you get asked to subscribe to whatever streaming service <laughs> <laughs> really really loud volume. So, sometimes as well, you do get uh, like even on Sirenscape and, and other systems, um, you'll get a perfect piece of ambient music. Um, with all these kind of um, generated effects and things going on in the background. And then suddenly it'll throw in a sound effect that you weren't quite expecting. <laughs> like somebody screams in the distance, which could be quite cool, because you could play off of that. You could suddenly, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it might completely just throw off your entire plan. Yeah. Um, so there are some, some things to be careful with. I mean, again, Roll20 has a built-in system based around SoundCloud that allows you to... Um, search through SoundCloud for these kind of soundscapes and music mm. and all these extra sound effects and things, and sort of set, create a, a bank of sounds that you can queue up into your your scenes. Mm. Yeah. Memories cool. of that combat where, in the middle of everything, and Lord of the Rings soundtrack in the background, the prancing pony scene. <laughs> <laughs> That yeah. was a mood spoiler. <laughs> I used to have a, a problem, so I used to use a lot of Nightwish, who you, yes. um, they play symphonic metal, so it's sort of aggressive, but not massively so, um, with these sort of you... operatic vocals that have, sort of, for medieval style stuff, felt very cool. And they sing about elves and stuff like that. Yeah, so. it, was, it was musically, not vocally aggressive. Yes, um, yeah. As um, opposed to a lot of the stuff I listen to, which is also quite... Kind of the other way around. It's yeah, kind of but people whining over guitars being put through a blender. <laughs> but it it worked really nicely, and yeah. I remember um, during one of our twenty four hour campaigns. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, Nightwish became battle music for us. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so we were all sitting and we we're all this flagging like eighteen hours in or something. Yeah, just yeah. like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. Um, and it was like, oh, and, and then you go into a room and this person appears and you played that and everyone just poked and went, right, murder! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it's also happened where you've put a track clicked on while we're in a nice happy village scene and we've all suddenly just gone, we need to kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was one song that just used to set the party off on the album. Yeah, and it was, was quite well, that was our, every time fight started, we would play that song. We, pl- we put that one on yeah. deliberately. That became, yeah, we need yeah. that music, Brian. We're yeah, fighting. but if it cycled round and that came on, mm. I remember our giant Celtic good half-orc um, who would murder all the bad guys but would love everyone he was talking knocking on the doors of a village trying to find out um where um how everything had gone wrong everyone was hiding this little old lady poked her head out and went hello and then suddenly that song came on and he was like i want to punch her her." (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, so, it's a good day. Yeah, it can set the mood, but it can also change the mood. So make sure you've got something that you can control. Mm. Know your materials. Yes. yes. If you're going to use yes. something from SoundCloud, make sure you've listened. You've listened to it yeah. through, so that you know if there's something like that coming up. Yeah. I mean that goes into if you're using a pre-written adventure. Yes, definitely. I mean, I've 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 tried them numerous times, and they're really cool stories. But no matter how t- many times I read them, there's always something I forget and I'm kicking myself for afterwards. When I've created it myself, it sticks better in my head. Yes, yeah. But I still have to prepare my own materials, write down an order of what I expect to happen, what will happen if the players do nothing. Yeah. And that gives me a skeleton to work from when you all run off in the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've used a, a blend of the two. I mean, uh, one of the things that got me into, into DMing and GMing in the first place was uh, I love creating stories. Yeah. Um, I, I also tend to write short stories uh, on occasion. Um, and, yeah. We'll talk later, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and yeah, I, I love that side of that creative side of things. But at the same time, I have used some pre-generated, pre-created scenarios, um, often as a sort of jumping point um, to you know get you sort of started with, especially when you're in a new system or a new setting, um, to really learn the world and how it works. And so again, with Numenera, there's been quite a few good kind of starter campaigns yeah there's a, there's a long campaign that i've got the book for that i've never played um mainly because of the same idea you you kind of feel like you need to know it inside out and it's somebody else's campaign it's quite difficult that uh, was the devil's spine so i've still not touched that one but there's all these little bits and pieces and actually monty cook games did a really nice thing uh, a year or two ago where they released um a book called instant adventures basically they come up with a system for you being able to pick up this book pick an adventure and learn what you needed to know within five to ten minutes. Okay, cool. So the idea is you didn't have to spend two, three, four hours or even a day reading for a campaign or a, some pre-release material yeah. to get an idea of what you're going to do. You could literally pick up this thing and do it on the fly almost. Yeah. And it's not perfect. There's still some things that I could tweak, but I've actually started now playing my own campaigns around the same style um, okay, of using cool. these kind of um, yeah, elements that you can almost like, pick and choose and what they call keys, which are these key elements of the story that you can almost drop into different situations. So if the party yeah. goes off and does something completely different, you can just drop that key and make it a different item even, or a different person, but it still allows you to tie everything yeah. together, yeah. and it's really that's, clever. That's one nice. Of, one of the great things uh, from playing Mutant Year Zero and Mutant Year Zero Gen Lab Alpha is they have um, pre-made sectors in Mutant Year Zero and some source books with various different bits in for, for Gen Lab. There's the um, Die, Meat Eaters Die, which I haven't looked through. No, don't. Uh, because <laughs> I'm now a player for, for that game. Well, that said, it's um, actually aimed at Year Zero. Yeah. So I've read as little as I possibly can oh, cool. of it. Well, it's just an unknown quantity then. Um, <laughs> I've through the artwork. It's very that pretty. Has, they're almost... They could be... You could make an adventure out of each of these little sectors, like one mile by one mile squares with something weird going on, mm. something happening. Yeah. Um, or you can drop them in to an ongoing campaign when you've not had time to make something for that week. Or they can serve as inspiration for your own thing. My favourite moment, though, however, I had the players going through... Um, my mutant is zero thing, and I saw something in the in the the bestiary. Um, there was try not to be too spoilery. Uh, there was a particular creature that was a plant creature that could control 
other um, beings, almost mm-hmm. like a fungus kind of thing. Oh, I hated that um, thing. Yeah, I, I saw that and I made up this massive encounter around it. Mm. Um, and it was hopefully quite memorable. Rob, yeah. Rob remembers it. Hoskers yeah, um, never been closer to dying. And then, <laughs> Joe should have loved it. And then a month later, the, um, the book of sectors came out. And there was a sector based around that had done almost exactly the same thing mm. yeah. after me. I felt really, really chuffed. I was really <laughs> pleased with myself. Um, but I've used several of those. I've just dropped them in. When we started, um, when we first played Call of Cthulhu, uh, when I played an 1880s Gaslight, Gaslight mm. campaign, mm. I wasn't comfortable with um, Cthulhu at the time. It was a very different style of game to how we'd played. We were still trying to be adventurers in Victoriana. Yeah. None um, of us quite had the right feel for yeah, it. Yeah, and as a DM, um, I what I did, I took two Call of Cthulhu adventures and basically ran them with a little bit of tweaking to get my head round how that game worked. And quite often you'll find in a rule book or a DM's guide or whatever, it will have an adventure. And it's always good to look through those just to see how... The people who have made the game think it should be played. You can then go off in a different direction, but it can really help you solidify all the kind of game theory Mm. into something concrete, something solid. So even though you might feel confident enough to make everything up, and that's mostly what I do now, still having these as things to draw on or something just to to reference can be really, really useful. And if you're playing something that's quite stat-heavy, like Pathfinder, Dungeons & Dragons, you can at least go... That's a really cool character. Yoink, take mm-hmm. them out of the scenario, build something else around them, or drop them into something of your own without having to make a huge stat block. So while we're on the uh, topic of tools, uh, I've got a question uh, I'd like to ask, which is uh, for the other sort of DMs and GMs in the room. Um, when it comes to looking at inspiration and being able to come up with like characters or scenarios, settings, um, creatures, kind of on the fly, yeah. are there any tools that you use to help with those ideas. One thing I really struggle with is names. Oh. Names can be, re- and players can struggle with names. <laughs> What's the name of your character? No, I'll, get I back know. You, I'll get back to you in three to four weeks. Yeah. Um, so I've compared some census data from the 1870s, uh, cross-referenced it with um, native Indonesian naming <laughs> methods and learned to do that click-click African language. And then um, just pick something out of a book that I read once anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I prefer um, the former method. I... I Used to, before I started a new campaign, I'd come up with an idea of how the naming system would work or what kind of names or even just where it was set. And then I'd use random name generators and have like, <laughs> a, a, just in my DMing I, like notebook or use a folder or whatever, have like a hundred random names. <laughs> because you can guarantee that a character that you create up on the on the spot, if the player's warm to them, they'll go, ah, generic towns guard number two. You are wise and knowledgeable and showed good chutzpah when dealing with those orphans. What is your name, sir? We will commend you to the king. And you're like, generic guardsman number two. <laughs> <laughs> or Jeff. Bob. To his yeah, and it can, it can just sort of break things when, yeah. you know, especially if you feel the panic. Yeah. Because the moment someone goes, Jamie, be creative, do something cool now. Ah. Yeah, you get that, you get that fear. Yeah. So having those things, and sometimes just knowing it's there means that you don't get that panic of uh, and you can yeah. come up with something um i did once i did once completely destroy a role-playing session um <laughs> i'm laughing at my own only the ones, Brian. <laughs> oh, i've done it several times and not every session don't worry if you have a bad session 
No, that's a big... Uh... Yes, definitely. I've had some awful sessions in my time, but, you know, work out why, talk to your players, maybe make some changes and some tweaks and then carry on or, or whatever. But I had a, a dashing... In my mind, he was a dashing French style kind of uh, <laughs> no, um, it was a um, it was almost like a musketeer kind of character and he, oh, he jumped you... out and they asked they asked this guy what his name was and he went ah my name is Philly Pandas <laughs> <laughs> which of course to my mind is Philippe Anders quite a Frenchy kind of sounding name yeah. one of the players turned around and went <laughs> Philly pandas, <laughs> like, like a horse and a panda, and then two hours later we finished the role play session, having accomplished nothing much but me just cry with laughter at my own ineptitude and, and losing what little accent you had. Yeah, I, I've never dared do a French accent in a game since. In fact, that may be the first time since I've attempted a French accent. <laughs> You only do it when telling that story. Yes. Ah, Philippe Anders. Of course it sounds like Philippe Anders. The other one was playing a zombie roleplay game and they went to the church and they went, oh yeah, you, you get into the church and you see Pastor Dave. And they were like, <laughs> they were like what, is he Italian or something? And I was like, no, he's Pastor Dave. Dave the pastor? Well, but again completely but those things happen and you just kind of roll with it yeah. and you know in 12 to 15 years time you might be able to laugh about it <laughs> and sometimes it works beautifully like scandinavian dave oh yeah it's got scandinavian dave it was a cyberpunk gang that all dressed as vikings because why not um, and uh, yeah one of them was called Dave <laughs> what's your name uh, Dave at which point we at which point we play as dubbed him Scandinavian Dave and decided we were going to take him on all our adventures <laughs> yes I did <laughs> just this confused he was in my mind I just thought because things are sort of cyclical and, and strange so I just kind of and then become sort of exaggerated so in my mind it was like 80 years time black metal becoming back in fashion and then them going like too far and wearing like the Viking helmets and <laughs> yeah. things to go with it. But really it was just like a middle class kid called Dave trying to act gangster for his mates. <laughs> <laughs> if memory served, he took off his helmet and the plaits were part of it. <laughs> yeah. That was inspired by a story of a, um, a friend going to see an emo band um, and the singer headbanging so hard that his fringe flew out across the <laughs> Back in the day where everyone had the, the one, one eye covered, very, very um, severe parting. Yeah, apparently his, hair, fl his hair flew off and he just had like a slightly rough kid from an estate kind of buzz cut thing going on underneath. <laughs> Yeah, um, oh, good times. <laughs> on the on the topic of creating characters, uh, mm. again, and for especially people new to uh, GMing or DMing, one sort of maybe a bit of a plug I could probably give. Um, mm. One thing I found quite useful myself in the past. There's um, well, two things really, but by the same people. There's a set called Non-Player Cards, and okay. which is accompanied with Non-Player Compendium by Andreas Walters and Andrew Montgomery Hull, uh, Metal Weave Games. Um, and they came up with basically a nice little system for generating random characters 
uh, with like rollable tables and things like that. But it can, you know, get you out of trouble in a pinch when you need to come up with a name quickly. Hmm. Uh, but also being able to generate extra things. So it includes uh, things like professions, relationships, personalities, traits, quirks, goals, and secrets. So you can really give them okay. a kind of full background very quickly yeah. uh, by doing that. I, I think like that's that. that's probably available on Drive RPG and places like that. Cool. But I find that's a really useful tool. Mm. And here's me just sitting there with a page of fantasy names and a page of vaguely real world names mm-hmm. that I've just come up with when waking up in the middle of the night and going, oh, that's a good name. Write it down. Go back to sleep. <laughs> one thing I want to mention, uh, another tool I found very useful is one that some people might find quite surprising. Um, is Pinterest. Now, Pinterest, if you've heard of it at all, is probably for recipes, yeah, uh, for like um, life shabby hacks. chic furniture, yeah, shabby chic furniture, all sorts of things that you wouldn't um, associate <laughs> with tabletop gaming. But the thing is, Pinterest has a very diverse community of people saving pins of all sorts of different things mm-hmm. from the, across the internet. Um, and there's actually quite a really good um, active role playing community on there oh, okay. Um, okay cool and one thing that's really quite cool is like i say you can literally pin images and things from around the internet onto a board yeah. and create a board of whatever you want now some people will do it for like their home decorating i do it for my role play campaigns and i just want to try something this might not work at all okay um, cool but i've got in front of me my pinterest board for my numenera inspiration okay cool what i'm going to do is i'm going to just randomly scan down on my phone i'm yeah. going to pass my phone to brian Okay. I'm going to see if Brian can just, from the visuals that he's in front of him, come up with a quick scenario or something that's based on those. Ooh. Okay, okay. Cool. Yeah. I feel like my pressure. DMing abilities, yeah. But, yeah. you know, the pressure in the DM, this is weirder because the internet can listen. Right. How big is it, Jamie? Yeah. I've, I've used depends. Pinterest for my online role playing. Feel free to scan again if you want to. Keeping hold of No, that's of amazing. Cool. So I've got here uh, in front of me um, some various, very odd. Almost sort of slightly art deco punk, not sort of steampunk, but very sort of ornate um, machines and such like. And the one I was immediately drawn to was the what looks to be a couple of little children in a almost like a giant glass bauble. To me, they're underwater floating on talking to some kind of underwater thing. So I, my brain would go, cool, you're going to use some weird technology and have an underwater session. Yeah be quite cool and actually above that is a city in a bubble so maybe you're trying to get to the city in the bubble that way yeah even okay, though so that bubble isn't underwater i was like oh that would work nicely under there as well yeah exactly yeah, I so mean, that's really cool that's yeah. a great idea and something you can present to your players as well yes yeah, so what's this helps game about the here's the mood yes. the mood board for them. Mm, exactly that's a great tip well done jane thank you <laughs> 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 Did that, sound, that wasn't meant to sound patronising. It was good. Well done, Jamie. You did <laughs> good. Was it a good thing? Every so often, I've you know I've been on holiday and gone, oh, you know, walking through the woods. That's a lovely shot. That I'd love to see that in a role play. There's a small waterfall coming down or something. And I've taken so many shots. I get back, look at my holiday snaps, and most of them are just of scenery, because I want to put that onto a digital display and go, you are here. <laughs> Rob's role play with powerpoints <laughs> I do kind of dream of having a big sort of tablet style what two foot by a foot and a half in the middle of the board and I can just go these are the images you see get one of them. Pr- rather than print out handouts 
there's the letter that you've intercepted. I think digital technology, yeah. you know, things like handouts and such, like much yeah, better. Yeah, putting on a PDF. Yeah. Well, but putting that up as the battle map. Mm. But for me, that is one of the things that really appeals about the digital realm of you know being able to do things online with World Twenty yeah, and definitely. things like that is that you you have all of that at your fingertips. I had absolutely no desire to do roleplay online because it was different and I don't like things that are weird. <laughs> and anything that's different to me is automatically weird. I'm playing a fantasy setting. I need to be sitting at something wooden. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, I, I gave it a quick go. The game never took off with some people I know who are in that there America. Um, probably should roleplay with them before their country explodes. Um, <laughs> Time differences there is always a problem. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was one of the things that, that sort of killed it, killed it off. Um, I had a player in South Africa as well, mm. which was really, really hard to try yes. and coordinate people. Mm. But gave it a little bit of a go. It wasn't actually as weird. The technology mm. now, Skyping into the conversation yeah. and having Google something visual. Really yeah, really, really good. Um, and you, Jamie, talking about it so enthusiastically, I'd quite happily try something like that. Because especially in the modern, it's hard. We're, we're all getting old, aren't we? I'm just quite excited about the idea of being out of D&D without getting dressed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. D&D in my pants. <gasps> Everything's coming up, Brian! <laughs> I'm turning off the screen. <laughs> uh, well, no webcams allowed. I'll be dressed from the navel up. No one would ever know. Well, well, apart from the point where you need to go to the bathroom to stand. <laughs> Expose my flaccid dongle. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I, f- I do fully intend to run a some type of body cipher system based campaign online for the Twits at some point. Ooh, um, the cyberpunk thing that yeah. we're kicking around would be great because being online. What I was thinking, maybe do like a small, like almost like one shot or maybe slightly longer Numenera one, just because I'm so familiar with the system. Yeah, I can teach yeah. you all the system. Yeah. And then we can maybe look at doing a Android net or another kind of world based game. That yeah. could be quite yeah. good fun. Can people like. This is going to sound really scary and daunting, but other people who aren't involved watch while what you're doing. Yes, there's options. I mean, we could just record it and play it back later on the internet via yeah. YouTube, but yeah. we could stream to Twitch and people could watch. So that's not a problem. I've already got it all set up to be able to do that. So Charity stream. Yeah. yeah, I think if we do the 24 hour, even if we do it, we could even do it live, but with a camera. Well, yeah, absolutely. Thing. We'll we do have a Twitch stream already that we have yeah. used over three times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. um, Mostly yeah. to play games, video games, when we used to play video games before nobody listened to us talking about video <laughs> games. And people like what we do about board games. Carl, that's rambling and shit, isn't it? Well, that, that, I'm what... sorry, you said video games and I switched off. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. One, thing, one thing that I would like I really to say about that, that is, is like, if, we do this, if we do a 24 hour um, stream, Doing it online at your computer is bad because people will fall asleep, people mm. will get distracted. <laughs> Jamie! Jamie, yeah. wake up! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think definitely we'll get a proper setup, some nice cameras, and we'll do a stream you know, around the table. Can I have um, my camera? Uh, yeah, you can yeah. have yeah. Brian GoPro. Cam. Yeah, Brian Cam. Oh, put GoPro on Joe's head, looking at him <laughs> all the time. Yeah, um, you're never allowed to look away from it. <laughs> 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 oh god you started already <laughs> <laughs> I really just off. wanted to tug on your beard <laughs> I don't know why um, um, so yeah we'll do both we'll, we'll do a proper kind of all 20 online system for something yeah. and then we'll do a round the table stream as well yeah cool. we haven't been able to make our, twen- our annual 24 hour role play happen this year yet mm. we'll <laughs> probably do it over Christmas with like Santa and shit <laughs> Christmas theme. No. And I don't don't we have Shadows Shadow. of Esteran to play at some point? Yes, yeah. and that's set in the snow. <laughs> 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 
They're really nice. Now they can do really good French accents. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I was just thinking, maybe around Halloween sort of time and that kind of period, um, we could do that one-shot one shot Goblin Quest we were talking about. Yeah, that would be And actually theme it around Halloween. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Now, as much as you feel you need to feel comfortable with the uh, with the game, I would I would say. What, what about you guys when it comes to planning? As a starting GM, I overplanned massively. Mm. As I said briefly, I put so much time into it before I felt like it was ready to roll that I'd kind of missed the window. You were kind of bored of it. Well, right I'd, then, I'd, or... I'd, I'd put the pitch to you guys, and you'd gone, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, let us know when you're ready to run it. And six to eight months later. We're talking about 18 months to two years, I think, before I felt ready. And then we were in the middle of a bit of one of your campaigns, and it was, you know, we definitely didn't want to stop there. We weren't at a good stopping point. We needed to carry on. And then it kind of got to the next bit, and I'm going, oh, no, I'm not sure anymore. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. We had a brief break. So we went, oh, not everyone's here. Let's try this. It all fell apart because I hadn't really written it with the players in mind. Didn't work so well. A couple of people had had an off week, and so we just went. You know what? Let's just go down the pub. Yes. Yeah. And you say, if yeah, well, sometimes you Jeopardo. have a bad session. Yes. Jeopardo, I remember from a one-off session. Yeah. Well, we made Adi, who only ever played half orcs. Yeah. He said, you have to play something that isn't a half orc. It's not a barbarian. He played a gnome sorcerer with a pet rock for a familiar. <laughs> yeah. AD I don't think was too happy about this going you can't play your standard go-to but then, so then went, oh, I'm just going to be silly and actually we all loved that bit yeah Je- and that, that was fabulous Jebedo Jebedo was the name of the stone yeah and Jebedo kept attacking people but the halfling was very upset and would go no Jebedo as he threw it <laughs> <laughs> using mage hands so no one knew he did it it just yeah. looked like it leapt out of his hands and he kept reaching for it we fell about <coughs> laughing with that and it I found it so difficult to keep the tone that I'd intended with all that. Let's yeah. say it went out the window and it's buried at the bottom of one of the folders yeah. of campaign ideas. I reckon now, Rob, you'd probably adjust, because it was right at the beginning, you'd probably adjust to a slightly sillier tone and carry on. Quite possibly, if AD well, were anywhere nearby. And we you don't... do with Barry. So... Yeah, no, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love Barry. Yeah, Barry but you the didn't hairball. expect Barry the hairball. <laughs> no one expects <laughs> Barry the hairball. And you rolled with it completely and it was you weren't phased at all. For those not in the know, which is everyone apart from us, uh, Barry the Hairball is Colin. Colin's Gen Lab's cat, best friend, mentor, <laughs> confidant, um, and occasional um, brother in arms in the battles against the Watchers, um, who lives on his shoulder and talks to him. It's the NPC he wants to protect. Yeah. Yes. And so as a result, I have given him a little NPC stat card <laughs> to go with everyone else's. Yeah. You know, yeah, gave him a character class for want of a better thing and have got the card halfway torn through because <laughs> I wanted to remind Colin that he was risking the NPC he wanted to protect. <laughs> but I think yeah. one of the most interesting things from the rest of the players is is nobody's quite sure if this hairball is actually <laughs> yeah. sentient or if it's all in Colin's head. Well, as far as my singer is concerned, the spirits talk to him through the hairball. <laughs> it all started I... off with Colin just having that monologue with the imaginary voice on his shoulder yeah. and then every so often I, I want to put an idea in his head or I go oh I can mess with him there and it is it's a bit of entertainment for me but it also entertains the rest of the table and yeah. that yeah. yeah, entertaining is the big role within the mm. yes, yeah that's the thing you can throw everything we say out the window and use none of the things or not any of the things or 
not plan at all or plan something meticulously as long as everyone's having fun then it doesn't matter but obviously it can be intimidating to go Joe tonight you're in charge of everyone's fun cool that's we will the... be having none of it <laughs> <laughs> that's the intimidating bit I think fun. <laughs> but yeah but like you said I mean it, it's interesting when you when you approach anything like this in a here's how you should do a thing especially when it's something that's so free form and subjective like a role playing game is hmm. there's there's a whole like void of different things you can do with it and you might have a group that wants very structured things um me going pulling faces at D&D 4th edition was yeah. because it went you want to play the game like this and i think our group as a whole went no we don't <laughs> yes <laughs> and yeah. so we looked looked i think i got as far as looking at reviews of it and just going Nah, I can fuck off. Not interested. Yeah. But I I looked in the books, and the moment it gave your movement in squares, not yards, mm. I was like, it's a war game, ah, yeah. and then yeah. ran away. Coming from a war game background and using miniatures on the thing, that still put me off. Yeah. Maybe I'm a bit weird. No, because it was a D&D, and you expected something different. I yes. think, actually, as a maybe a tabletop role-playing game that had a major war game element, it was actually not a terrible system. But it wasn't D and D what people expected. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it had taken away what we liked. And I, I think yeah. the wargaming background meant I love the models. I like it when there's a the thing of stuff planned out, so I know where everything is because I can keep track of it. Yeah. It. This is some something that bugs me a little bit. Is having to go. Where, where's the nearest one? Yeah. How many's there? Which one looks injured? Because you can go if it's visual in front of me, I can keep track of it a lot it better than easy, I can in my yeah. head. Um. I remember when I would when I used to run a lot of Pathfinder a fight would start and I'd pull out the map and everyone would be like, ooh, this is going to be a good one. So I didn't use it for every fight. Mm. If you're going to fight two orcs and you're going to murder them fairly quickly, don't, yeah, yeah. don't use it. Um, but yeah. Something that could survive a whole round of Colin shooting would get the map out. <laughs> yes, yes. Sometimes still put it away. Yeah. Um, now, for our next segment, I'm going to make an admission. <gasps> One of the things that DMs often worry about is problem players. Players that aren't maybe engaged or do things they shouldn't or act weird at the table. I am a problem player. <laughs> um, That's why you get to DM so much. Yes. Rob, having DM'd for me <laughs> several times. Twitch, um, Twitch. <laughs> I'm quite easily bored. Yes, and yes therefore you are. I tend to. Not on per- I don't do it on purpose, but I tend to drag the game away and go off on tangents and such like, which can be something that play- uh, new DMs worry about. And we mentioned a long time ago, now back at the beginning of the podcast, the idea of railroading. Mm. Sometimes the GM's reaction to players sort of going off on tangents is to railroad. No, you can't. You can't I think we that. need to explain the terminology. Yeah. Railroading is guiding exactly the players straight down a path. You, yeah. The DM has a story. That's the story that's going to play out. Almost no matter what the players do, Yes, the story sticks on the chain. To make an um, analogy with video games, you have some like the Fallout series or the Elder Scrolls series where it goes, here's a thing, fuck off and do what you want. Yeah, And then you have other things where it goes, go here down the path you can't deviate from yeah, then walls. go over here mm. yeah and yes. it and it yeah. guides you and and there's a whole the whole range of basically it being on rails mm. 
um, yeah. all the way up to yeah, free form. I think that is a really good thing to consider again as a new DM um, because my first DM experience was was that really because I spent a long time planning this city and mm. all of the events and things that might happen in the city and the people and everything like that. And my players on the first session um, only want to spend five minutes in the city and then want to go off and do other things. So <laughs> my whole campaign was based around this city. Like all of the kind of interesting things were supposed to happen in the city. Um, and I did railroad on that session and then the players didn't want to play with me again. Um, oh. So, oh. yeah. It was, oh, Jamie! I was going to say, if it makes you feel better, I think we've done that to Brian about 17 <laughs> times. I've got so many stories. <laughs> stories within stories. Stories within stories within stories until we get to the core story. This isn't Inception. I'll shut up. Um, Brian's done it to me, though. So he has had a bit of revenge. Yes. Now, I think that, that for me as a player, that's a problem because sometimes it's because I'm not paying attention and I'm not in the spotlight and I jump in and I want to be involved. Look at me, shine. <laughs> Let's go over here um, and do the thing I want to do. Yeah. But actually, <laughs> I found that it's not a problem to roll with what the players want mm-hmm. to do. And quite often it's because you've introduced something. Jamie, why did they want to leave the city? Um, I think it's just the style of the games that they had played before. It had been okay. very open and freeform. Yeah. And that wasn't... Because I was really into the narrative side of things, and I had a story yeah. to tell, and they weren't interested in that. Could you have solved that by talking to them first, possibly? Possibly, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a few... Uh, now I look back at it, there's all sorts of different ways you can look at it. Uh, for one thing, is um, the kind of... Not secret railroading, exactly, but um, being able to abandon an element and then bring it back later for yes. a different area or a different yeah. way. Um, so you don't completely lose all your prep. You can just reuse it later. Yes. Um, so that's always useful. Yeah. But yeah, actually knowing your players and what they want is really important. Yeah. it Quite often it can be because you've actually introduced an element. Players will naturally look for hooks to get them into the game, things that they can do. Mm. And I've had um, just one example. I think, Joe, you were in this game. Um, that the players came from a, sort of, um, a conquered area um, that was held by the neighbouring country. But they kind of, cultures were intermingling. So they left their hometown. Um, their home country is, was crap, it was rubbish. It was just like sheep and farms and not a lot. And they wanted to go into the big country and make a name for themselves. And they were planning on, this was the, the campaign I mentioned earlier, possibly, uh, depending on Jamie's cutting. Um, the King Dave went, campaign. Yeah, where they, King Dave, all hail King Dave. His name wasn't Dave. Um, <laughs> where they were going off to test their adulthood and, and pull the thing. Mm. And they got to the next town over, it, the first town on the border for the, the other country. Mm-hmm. And bells were ringing. People started running around. And they were like, what's going on? And they were like, war! War in the north! War in the north! We've been invaded! Now, this was meant to be a campaign that went on in the background, but I didn't expect them to have any kind of love or fondness for this invading place. But actually, they'd not really seen anything bad from them. So they immediately went to the town square and went, we sign up! <laughs> and demanded to be conscripted. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, shit, I know everything from here to the capital city, which is south, and they want to go north? Um, okay, so I deliber- I made them go, oh, yeah, you're just Johnny Foreigners. You're, you're, not, you're not any good. You can't join up. You're not like us. And they went, no, no. Um, the people from our area are renowned archers. <laughs> and they all had sort of historical bonuses, like built into mm. their um, built into their backstory. That was a thing they were known for, built into the characters' stats. So I'd given all a little tiny boost 
to using bows just to represent that training the old english kind of practicing your longbow on a sunday thing the players then will show you set up some target ranges and i was like okay well okay yeah they'll, they'll go with that probably more out of a kind of let's show these people that they're rubbish they got out their fancy crossbows hey, you're using longbows the players then between them, five players, managed to roll three critical hits, strike the centre of the target and nearly destroy it every single time. At which point I was like, cool, you guys have now joined the army. Do you want a quick break? <laughs> went, yeah, yeah, we'll go, we'll get some food, we'll get, get a drink. And I just furiously went, I've got to plan a new thing. And just went off and made up something about them going off to war. But I didn't want to break their immersion. Mm. But... At the same time, if you're not comfortable yet improving and kind of going with that kind of thing, there are things you could do just to sort of bring things around. For instance, if you decided they were going to get attacked on the road, mm -hmm. you could go, right, you guys are good with your bows, but we don't trust you, you're foreigners. You can be the scouts. Off you go. They're the scouts. They then get attacked on the road by the same group of bandits. You move them up, at which point you probably had your session, and then you can plan for next week. Yeah. So you can... You can kind of, as Jamie said, reuse your elements and do that mm. kind of thing. I really enjoyed that because I was surprised. I was learning the story at the same rate as the players almost <laughs> and had to make up an entire culture of invading warriors. <laughs> it can be it can be difficult, as I said, to sort of do that. And quite often players don't aren't doing it on purpose. They aren't do, they, they, you've said something, you've mentioned something, um, or you've not given them something to hook on to. They're looking for plot clues they're looking for things to do yeah and sometimes you need to roll with it sometimes you need to fold it back in i have on one occasion turned around to a group and said i have absolutely no idea what happens next can we finish please was that you i think i was in that game potentially were you just gone You've all done something completely uh, I wasn't expecting. I have no um, idea. The one that I'm, I'm thinking of is, I've mentioned this before, so just very quickly. Um, the entire campaign was based around the party being members of the Inquisition on the, the city that borders hell. So they patrol the city. The city is there to hold back hell. Uh, but hell being chaotic is in disarray. And they were planning being in, in, inquisitors. Uh, going around rooting out evil, looking for signs of demonic possession, creatures getting through, people not following the rules, because if you don't follow the rules, then the city will fall and then all of the world is doomed kind of thing. And the first thing the party decided to do was to murder some prostitutes and drink their blood, because one of the characters was a half-vampire, forgetting that they'd arrested someone and were taking them back to be interrogated forgot that NPC was there and just did it all in front of them. At which point I was like, what, what's going on? They then delivered the NPC and I was like, okay, in the middle of the night, you get a knock on your door. There's 25 armed men and a very angry looking boss who you talked to earlier. Uh, and you are all arrested because you've just committed horrible sins and blasphemy and all sorts of horrible stuff in front of someone who's just gone and told them. And his story checks out because it's true. Um, cool, I'll get back to you next week. It's just like 10 o'clock when we used to role play till 3am because like, I've just been my entire game. <laughs> but I still had the background. I still had the characters and, yeah. the and I could fold, I could reuse bits. Um, if we can call back to the problem player bit that started all this, yes. uh, there is a good example of a potentially problem player. Some GMs would go, 
whoever wants to play a half vampire is a real problem. Possibly, yeah, actually. I... We've got... Because it's a disruptive influence. Whereas yeah. we've gone, that'll make it really fun because you'll have to try and hide it from the yeah, party. Yeah. Was... And we used to hide an awful lot. We'd have double dealing and yeah. dodginess. We'd go off for conversations quite commonly in the next mm. room. The DM would take a player aside. They'd come back mm. and decide how much to share mm. of what they now knew. Yeah. But it's only a problem if it disrupts the group. Mm. You are allowed leading character generally when you're a player yeah and the rest of the party will tend to follow your lead that's true of most things we play yeah now no one seems to complain about that but other groups might yeah but yeah. for us it's not a problem it's just a case of as dm you go okay brian's likely to be in the lead let's make sure we get a strong hook to hold him in the others are more likely to follow along but let's throw some stuff in to make it interesting for them and make them feel they've got a bit in yeah Playing as Hosk in Mutant, he and Kane did not see eye to eye. <laughs> and we could have come to blows with inter-party conflict. Mm. But we never quite got to that stage. And I think in part it was because Mutant was so tough that we felt we still needed to band together. But also we've got that understanding that we're playing characters that we enjoy playing. Yeah. We're not going to get it to the point where the DM has to step no. in, adjudicate it, and probably kill at least one of us. As long as everyone's having fun, and there's a difference between party conflict that's fun mm. in character and party conflict that becomes a sort of out of character thing, and that's mm. where you kind of have to step in and exert your authority. Um, Aaron, me and you have had some strong party conflict recently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because Murakami the Yak is no more. He is an ex Yak. Yeah. Um, can't bring that yak back. Uh, <laughs> that yak is butter. <laughs> He's well butters, isn't it? Um, and my new character um, is quite abrasive. Yeah. Um, and maybe that would make me, again, a problem player. Because I've brought in someone deliberately shake things up. And I disrespected the memory of the yak. And what did you do, Aaron? I think I punched you, didn't I? Punched me in the face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, Rob didn't... Almost know, out of character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rob didn't make that a roll damage and that kind of thing. It was left to us. Yeah. And all I all I did, I played my character as being really sulking and, and upset by it and wrote next to your character name on my character sheet, um, don't like him, let him die. <laughs> That's still there. Yeah. However, you were then mean to me later on, so I also wrote after it, or help him along. <laughs> now there there is a tip to dms no, not everything has to be rolled for yes yeah. yeah now niner punches ripley yeah if i'd then made aaron roll for it and he'd got no successes that would have been so anticlimactic and we'd then have to yeah. retcon as it's called change the story and go oh he swung for you missed yeah i've been in a game as a player where a bard was really getting on my wick. Yeah. yeah. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. He slapped me with my own gauntlet. So my character punched him left-handed. I was not... It, well, swung for him. I think my actual words were, I try and punch him. Yeah. I then rolled a natural 20 on a d20. Yeah. Critical hit. Almost killed the bard. In a single hit, left-handed, with yeah. a cleric. And it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But it made it a memorable moment in a very weird game. But yeah. uh, again, yeah, but in... because it was the player right next to me, we had a laugh about it, so did the rest of the table. The game carried on, it wasn't Which disruptive. I've ruined the game once. I feel like once? this is like. <laughs> once? Yeah, it is, isn't it? I was playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, um, and I played a uh, lost orphan boy who snuck onto a boat because he didn't want to 
live in the town full of rats. He'll go to a different town with some different rats. Um, <laughs> they might have been better rats. Probably. And met the maybe weasels. Met the travelling adventurers and adventurers and kind of tagged along with them. And one of them was a troll slayer. And as we were crossing an underground stream in the dungeon, the troll slayer slipped over and dropped his axe in the water. So I laughed. This was hilarious to a 14-year-old orphan boy in medieval times. This is like, you've been framed. <laughs> um, so the troll slayer, being very, very proud, threw me in and went, go and fetch my axe. So I swam down and got the axe. I picked it back up, got back up, stood there gasping um, and went, there you go. And um, he kind of laughed in my face. Um, we took your time. Went, you could at least say thank you. It was a little pet, bit petty. Um, and he a went, teenage oh, boy, yeah, petty. Exactly. And he went, uh, shut up, well. So I threw his axe in the other side of the river. <laughs> <laughs> at which point he punched me. The DM made him roll for it. He cricked me in the hip. Um, shattered my hip bone uh, made uh, it pierced my artery because it had a very detailed crit table mm-hmm. and fancy role play and I died within three seconds <laughs> at which point we never played that game again because <laughs> it was all just a bit weird so yes it was I think yeah. if you think that something else is going on backing out um, that kind of thing and just sort of going can we stop right are we good yeah yeah, because there can be that. And we talked about railroading earlier for the DM. As, as a player, you have you to might, get on with everyone. Yeah, a little bit. Or you've got things you want to do elsewhere, but you, and this is very metagamey, don't want to split the party or separate from everybody because then you won't potentially be roleplaying. Mm. But again, a good GM will have backup characters set up, possibly. Like Mutant's got it pretty much pre built in for you to have somebody else you can step into if that character needs to go away somewhere. Or will understand that conflict might be coming up and then maybe evolve the story to go around mm. to involve that so that person that player can have that moment in the spotlight that we talked about earlier, possibly yeah. yeah a lot of well i say a lot some of my more recent rpg purchases the books actually talk about a specific social contract that you agree to around the table before you even create characters yeah yeah for yeah. new for new groups not familiar with one another that something formal like that could be a really good thing. Yeah, definitely. But if setting rules and standards at the start of the year, <laughs> everything's to do with teaching. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Yeah, you should be. I am. <laughs> yeah. It's something for a DM to consider. It sounds to me. My first reaction was, "Oh no, this is just a game. We're just here to have fun." Yeah. But when you've got a brand brand new group of people, and at one point I was in a game with twelve players, just because. They didn't turn up regularly, oh, but for okay. the last game of the semester, everybody showed up, <laughs> and it was just, oh, hell. Yeah. We ended up splitting the game into two separate yeah. games when ten people were turning up regularly, and then after two weeks, half of them weren't showing up, so yeah. people were getting pulled from one plot to join in another plot, and I got completely lost what yeah. I was supposed to be doing, because I moved from yeah. my urban-based campaign, I suddenly ended up in a yeah. dungeon over here. But I knew not why, and no one ever explained it to me. But I yeah. punched the bard and nearly killed him, so I was happy. <laughs> Punching the bard could be another t-shirt. <laughs> Enjoy the weasel, punch the bard. <laughs> I'm seeing front and back slogans. Yeah, we're getting... So like, Critical twits like down the sleeve. A mantra going on. Yeah. <laughs> hacker thing that we do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you say about that social contract, 
it's not up to you as DM, but you're the one with the authority and influence and you can help guide that. What do you do if someone doesn't turn up? Do you role play without them? What happens to their character? Agree that with your group. Um, um, I've actually got um, a kind of... That's a, how would you put it? A contrivance. Um, in, uh, in <laughs> that's exactly how I'd put it, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> contrivance in the games that uh, I run for, for Numenera. Um, so basically, uh, Numenera relies on artifacts a lot of the time, which are these powerful devices, and you don't get many, many of them. But an artifact that the uh, party for some contrived reason, have to carry around with them. And the whole point of this artefact is maybe sort of a, a featureless black cube initially, but if for some reason uh, one of the people in the party can't be there that week, they've got some social commitments or something like that, then it's assumed that this cube has kind of absorbed them for the <laughs> session. So it's basically zapped them into this other maybe dimension or something like that. They're inside this cube. So they're still with the party, Yeah. Um, and wherever the party end up, they'll they'll reappear eventually when they come back. But as a kind of an additional thing to this, there we've got it where the the cube itself has some type of like almost like touchscreen interface, where the party, if they want to, could always make a difficulty roll, um, and if they are successful or different degrees of success, it will allow me as as the GM to send a text message to that player who's away <laughs> so the, play, the party can still communicate with them but obviously if they roll poorly on that they're only going to get a few characters to use or maybe some garbled <laughs> sentence or, <laughs> uh, or they, if, they, if they naturally quit it or something like that they'll get to a full you know, paragraph of what they want to say yeah. maybe that person can't respond but <laughs> it does hopefully keep them in the game somehow and keep them involved while they're away yeah. uh, and also has a nice reason for why they're not there yeah. I think that's genius. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Whereas as a player, that would feel totally inconsistent yeah. and annoying the hell out of me and I wouldn't want to do it. It's me? Yeah. 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 I just turn up then, I think, the thing is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> that setting, with an Imanel setting yes. where everything is weird, it's based around the yeah. idea of the weird and the artefacts and all these devices that do odd things. Um, I like Numenera and the weird and that side of things, but that to me goes too far. Mm. Yeah, but that's again. That's down to the tone yeah, that, yeah. That you've and got it's, on your it's set. personal taste, yeah. and it's what what the bits I like out of Numenera. But that's neither here nor there. As a way of getting round it, it certainly beats my having Aaron's hair run off into the distance, and we haven't resolved what's happened to him and whether he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. He's just bald now. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, anything anyone wants to add before I go on to the do's and don'ts? Um, no. texts. Um, it goes back to. Um, oh, so the tools. social contract. Well, or... uh, te- oh, say okay. te- um, social contract, but um, as a tool for discussion between games, we played a fairly infrequent game of Conspiracy X. Yes, yeah. Run by Mr. Lovely. Yes. Hi, Mr. Lovely. <laughs> and every so often, I'd get a text in code. It'd be like, Auntie Ethel's um, not feeling so well. Can we put her birthday back? Will you be free in two weeks' time? <laughs> <laughs> to which I would try and respond in kind. The idea being, it was a conspiracy game. We were a secret cell. This was how we were communicating. Yeah. The first one of these came out of the blue, and yet I still figured out what was going on, mostly from who it was from. Yeah. But it just made the game so much more fun when we did sit down 
a month after the last game, yeah, yeah. it had kept my enthusiasm going. So we talk about weekly gaming because that's our norm. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. might not be able to do that. There are other options, there are other methods, oh, and yeah. technology is glorious Yeah, for that, says the Luddite. Okay, um, we've mentioned that the then your DM do's, DM do's, <laughs> um, is first of all, communicate with your players. Mm-hmm. Find out what they want to do, find out how they want to play, uh, find out what interests them, and keep it up throughout the campaign or the series of adventures. Don't just find out what they want at the beginning and then never talk to them about the game again. One thing I've got here is just to very occasionally mess with them. <laughs> They're taking too long discussing something in a dungeon. Roll a couple dice. <laughs> Scare ask the bejesus see, out of us. <laughs> ask to see ha- someone's character sheet and make a note. <laughs> That's always good. You could the just... equivalent of a netrunner going, how many cards you got? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, there's been a lot of occasions where you've done something like that where I'm trying to figure out if you've actually written something down or it's just a squiggle on a piece of paper to make me paranoid. Yeah, yes. Rob yeah. With, his, with just occasionally rolling the dice and it's when you hear that that there's a, rather a lot of them who's sitting there going, oh dear, yeah. what's nearby? It's, it's what it's followed by. Huh. Yeah. Going, Shit. <laughs> and I've picked up on your reaction like that and I do it extra. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that can be that can be a good way. Um, it's it's a very subtle way of helping to pace the game as well. Mm. It just kind of reminds them that the world doesn't stop when they discuss things. Um, I would allow my players to set their own conventions. Uh, you can suggest them, um, but if they don't like them, they don't force them. But we used to have a thing where we'd put our hand on the top of our head to signify that we were talking out of character. That was because we found that we used to just go off on huge tangents and talk about what we were doing last night and what her name was um, and that kind of thing um, and it was a way of just making it easier to be in character and just to subtly encourage players along um, but a lot of the things that we we do for instance if someone passes a um, a spot check you know some kind of perception test is often in quite a lot of games we know we, we have a thing where if we failed we some of us put our fingers in our ears I like to do that mm-hmm. I just don't know what's going on uh, but but what we tend to do now is actually the person that's passed will then go I tell everyone and then we, we're done and yeah. then if they don't say that you're like oh I don't know about that they're keeping things in secret right don't use it in game but we've kind of established our own convention for that so we don't all have to hide ourselves when the information is shared yeah. and we trust each other not to use that information I would say, again, that secret listening to your players when they go, oh, was it was it Farquad the unstoppable? I hate that guy. That's the guy you bring back. Mm-hmm. When they go, oh, it looks like it's Farquad's brother Jeff. He was really crowd. He was dull. You go, no, it's Farquad again. <laughs> Where is Jeff's hat? Um, because, you know, you can read your players and get an idea of the things. And you can genuinely, literally ask them mm. and this is something that i didn't think of for years it's <laughs> at the end of the session go how was that did you like it was it okay now being british sometimes there's a case of going yes everything is lovely stop talking to me <laughs> toast the margarine um <laughs> but actually getting that thing i used to get the players to vote on a piece of paper for the person they thought they role played their character the best mm. and give that person a bonus bit of experience mm very subtly encouraging them to, to role play yeah. but it was also telling me it was information about my players it was getting feedback from them on what what they they liked so if someone was role playing in a particular style and they thought that was amazing maybe they were the character that was being really serious 
Like, cool, they're liking the serious stuff. I'll bring in a more serious plot. When you used to ask sometimes, was that okay? I'd get a little bit angry. So go, yes, but don't kill my buzz by sounding insecure. Now, that was brilliant. (laughs) Shut up. It is being insecure because you're, you're, you're creating something for the pleasure of others. That is... That is really um, nerve-wracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, please like, but comment, that's... and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> my big do, my biggest piece of advice comes in. I think quite nicely at this point. As a DM, especially when you're just starting out, try and relax. Yeah. Because you get oh, I got so worked up going. I've got this to do and this to do and this to. Do. I didn't hear a lot of the out-of-character conversation that was going, and I wasn't getting that secret listening, as you put it. Yeah. So I was missing cues and everything so often. But relax. So long as you're enjoying it, and you're with friends, so you're likely to have similar interests, they're also going to enjoy it. If people aren't enjoying it, they're going to tell you. Yeah, and then... I, I could spend weeks fretting, <laughs> oh, we haven't gamed this week, because two people were off, and... And one person was missing last week. Are they not enjoying it and they're just too polite to tell me? No, people will tell you if you're spoiling their night of roleplay. If people are laughing, smiling or engaged and asking questions about what's happening around the table, read their body language and what they're saying and do that. I have had one moment where I genuinely thought I pissed a player off and they wanted to kill me. And I'm looking at you, Rob. (laughs) Um, Because uh, very briefly, his cyberpunk character... Um, while sitting on a rooftop with a sniper rifle was run by his ex-wife and we role played out a conversation where she was convinced that he was supposed to have the children he was convinced that he wasn't and we had the most convincing kind of domestic uh, (laughs) squabble ever and then I was like cool let's have a break Rob are you all right and you were like yeah that was great I was like because I thought you wanted to kill me I was like no I wanted to kill her she's an idiot (laughs) I don't have the kids this week (laughs) Yeah, and it was, and that was a really immersive bit of roleplay. I didn't know what my face was doing yeah, at that yeah. point, but yeah, in my head, I was glaring at her, and her became you. And yeah, but that that came out. That was of, the exchange. You wrote that into your background, so I thought I'd use it just at the worst possible moment. <laughs> <laughs> wrote it into my background. That was Cyberpunk twenty twenty. The dice wrote that into my background. Good point. I can't take I all like the credit. Yeah, that was a um, lovely background system. Yeah, the other thing I'd say is just remember sometimes you do have to be in charge, and you know if you do have a disruptive player, if you have someone who's constantly correcting your interpretation of the rules, you are in charge. Um, push on. I would discuss it with them mm. um, because, and not in front of everyone, because sometimes mm. people people are very different one to one than they are in a group. Mm. I'm much less annoying. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I genuinely don't have a filter anymore. You know, like, you know that thing you put in to stop your mouth saying what you really think. That died. <laughs> but yeah, people will respond to a polite, pleasant conversation away from other people than turning around and going, "Will you stop being a dick and ruining my game, <laughs> Joe?" Because I looked at you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some people do need that. Sometimes, <laughs> if they're your friends and you know them, and yeah. That'd be yeah. Worth. Or if a polite conversation hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, we have had to remove players from our roleplay group, sadly, because they were making it not fun. And that's why we're here, to have fun. Any more do's, lovely people? House rules. Yes, cool. Do have house rules. Also helps with problem players who say, that's not how the rule works. I'm GM, it's 
I'm yeah. in charge. Nearly they every don't... game says the DM's word is final. Mm-hmm. Yes. Some players don't read that bit, mm. especially yeah. if it's the GM section where they shouldn't read it. Yes, yeah, that bit should be sort of printed. Might just get... We should make our own <laughs> DM screens that says this, shut your face, I'm in charge. <laughs> <laughs> On the panels. Um... Yeah, sometimes you have to sort of do that. But yeah, house mm. rules. So if you don't like something in the game, change it. Do what you mm. like. Yeah. If you want to strip back a system and not bother with like playing a cyberpunk game, when I used to play that, I was like, no hackers. No hackers in the party because then they go off and do a different thing and it takes loads of time and everyone else is sat there twiddling their thumbs. Mm. Um, no hackers. It's like the road. I took it out because it would have just ruined the game for everyone. Um, we mentioned it with the character creation as well. We like to take out alignment systems. Because yes. they're a pain in the ass. Yes. I cast Detect Evil. Oh, you're looking slightly evil. I shall stab you, fellow adventurer, who I've known for 15 years. Uh, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, feel free to bend and bend the rules to, to what you do. Um, when we started with D&D 3.5, we did not use all the rules. Mostly because we hadn't read them enough to remember to use them. Yeah. Grappling. <laughs> yeah. And we just, you know... We just winged it and go, we'll, we'll yeah. roll off yeah. against each other and see how we do. Yeah. So don't be afraid to not know the system inside out, backwards, yeah. front and sideways. So long as you can, you have a story, because yeah. I, I think the consensus around this table is that the story is paramount. Yeah. The, the mechanics are there just to facilitate mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. fun, fun is the most important thing. And for me, the fun comes from having an enjoyable story. Yeah. And then yeah, it's under yeah. That. I mean, sometimes um, I know other groups who are there to kick the door down, kill the monsters. Yeah, and that's and knowing your players, isn't it? Yeah, they they have that. They're focused on the the rules, and it works for them. For us, yeah, just go with what you can. If if in doubt, roll a die, or if you fancy, just go in. Well, this will happen. This will be cool. This will make for a good story. Forget the dice. Just carry on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, as a DM, roll all my dice in secret because if I don't want to roll three twenties in a row and murder the party when they're um, getting their hands slapped by the old lady for trying to pick her pocket in the marketplace, then I do that. The GM's fiat, I think most books yes, call that. Yeah, and and that is something to to use. But sometimes bad shit happens. Sometimes the yeah. dice roll mean that the 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 thief falls over the table and he's left sprawled there with his trousers around his ankle when the guards uh, guards burst in. That could be quite fun, actually. <laughs> but um, not if that's his third character in a row that's about to die and yeah. no one else has lost the, even their first. Yeah. So Take him fudge it a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Poor Colin. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very Colin thing to, uh, to happen to you. Um, yes, so yeah. Um, and I would say if you've got a really tricky rules question come up, in the middle of a really important fight or really important scene, make a note of it, make a ruling then and there that for this instance we're going to do this, move the game on, you can always check it later, and hopefully no one dies, and then, yeah, you're building your knowledge of the game as a group together. Well, um, thinking back to issues we have had with similar things and rulings and everything else, and it's something I think we, we tend to do without thinking and sort of stating we're going to do this now, mm. we tend to not have the books themselves on the table. No, we don't, actually. That's no. that I think we've done deliberate. No, but it's something that has evolved from... Because back in the days of someone sitting there and you go, yeah, we're going to do this and this is how that's going to play out. Roll this dice and see what happens. And then sitting there going, on page 200 it says this. <laughs> 
So not having those books there to have that temptation to check the rules. And you're to... speaking as another player. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. No. Yeah. That's it. It would infuriate me to have someone go. I. You're doing that wrong. No, I'm doing it the way I fucking want yeah. to, and I'm yeah. in charge. Yeah. As a player, just just derailing and again breaking immersion and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't help. Yeah. Now we have two books for um, GenLab Alpha. That is our latest game. I tend to open it because I'm DM and I've got some tables to look up. Yeah, Otherwise, um, you guys don't tend to look at it apart yeah, from character advancement, I, I think, or just to check what my abilities do occasionally. Yeah, I think it really just depends, obviously, on which system you're using. Yeah, um, and obviously, true. a game like D and D, especially the older systems for D and D, are very rules heavy. And like, even when you like you say with stat blocks for every single NPC and, and monster and everything you have, yeah. whereas a lot of other systems, um, a mutant seems a little bit more light to touch on some of the rules. And a game with cipher system, it's very much that way. Um, you don't need to be constantly referring to to the rules. Wing it, like we said before. Yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid to to wing it. Don't be afraid. I I now plan. Uh, cool. Any don'ts then? Anything you shouldn't do as a DM? Um, don't stress. Don't stress. Especially if you've had a bad session. Yeah. Two mutant sessions ago, I thought you were all going to jack it in and would never play the game with me again <laughs> because the squirrel died. <laughs> and, really upset. and things went. Two squirrels died. Oh, yeah, it was an NPC. Right I went to the park with a rottweiler. <laughs> did yeah. all of them fall out of the tree and the head went splat? Uh, the, the rottweiler did in the end. It was a crazy day. Well, two squirrels died, and the rest of you made it only by the skin of your teeth and fortuitous runaway. All suffered at least one injury? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think it, you're I pretty brutalised. <laughs> yeah. But you, even then, you were sat at the opposite end of the table looking thoroughly dejected. I got knocked out, um, and then, yeah, just couldn't do anything. I was like, oh. <laughs> well, we got over it, because... Sometimes these things happen. Yeah, I, I still spent yeah. three days worrying that this was yet another campaign that was never going to end, or we'd never get to the end of. No, we hate you, we're going to force you to run forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which, in fact, leads me on to another don't. When you start, don't go for overlong, over-involved campaigns. I would heartily recommend going for short mm. stories. Something yeah, that you expect yeah. will last for three to four sessions, yeah. maybe, and that's it. Because it might not work with your players. Yeah. If it does, you can always extend it later. Yep. Yeah. But if you're planning for a big reveal in three months' time, but you don't have enough in between to hold players' attention, that's going to cause you to struggle. You'll either lose interest yeah. or you'll have to accelerate the game, which will feel slightly forced. Players won't get that time to get the feel for their characters if that's yeah. what they're wanting. So shorter is better. Thinking back, and I don't think we've ever finished a campaign that I've started DMing. We're going to finish this one, right? Absolutely. This will break We'll the, finish it uh... tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we finish it tonight, you're yeah. all dead. Yeah, we <laughs> absolutely blow up Paradise Valley. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I, I mentioned way back at the beginning of time now, um, people becoming DM and thinking it's a competition against their players. Hmm. As DM, you can do anything you like because you are in charge of the world. Um, you could drop a nuclear bomb at them on them at any moment or in Dungeons and Dragons terms, drop a Tarask on them at any moment. <laughs> or nuke um, Australia. You actually, the players are putting their trust in you to be fair, to give them challenges that they have some chance of overcoming or if they're not going to be overcome it yet, so you want them to meet the big bad guy, but they're not going to be powerful enough yet. It's 
very clear that they probably shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, um, so your, your job as DM is to make sure the players are having a good time. And if um, they feel picked on, yeah, yeah, they're not going to feel that um, that they're having that fun. I had a DM who's, who delighted in proving that he could beat us. Hmm. Um, and that came to a head where we had a bar fight with a group of elves um, who were basically the most efficiently built adventuring party that you would ever see, including a bard hidden behind three hired thugs so we couldn't get to him and stop him singing. Uh, he basically sang, kill them, kill them, kill them, kill them in the face, uh, over and over. Um, and because they were all played by the DM, of course, there was no miscommunication. Every move they made was perfect. Killed one of the players before the DM realised that probably he was going to kill the entire party because we'd barely scratched them and then knocked the rest of us out. And it's kind of like, oh... Steve's character's dead. <laughs> I only got. Why did they murder him and leave me alive? What's going on? And it, it kind of broke. And the, the DM was like, "Yeah, you couldn't beat them, could you?" It's like, well, no, because you could just put, you could just put fucking Superman in, and I'm a guy with a spoon. Um, <laughs> that's not fair. Mm. So it's not a competition. Mm. Yeah. Uh, finally, oh, um, can I throw in another oh, don't? Yeah, I've got one more as okay. well. We talk about. Being an entertainer as a DM, your job yeah. is to entertain the others. Do not sacrifice your own enjoyment for the sake of everyone else's. If you're not enjoying it, you're going to end up giving a game that the others don't enjoy. Yes. So yeah. potentially tying out a bunch of one-shots to begin with yeah. might be yeah. a good idea for a group who don't know each other very well. Yeah. And it also allows different people to step in and say, I feel like I'm a DM first. But I've really been enjoying having that break and being a player and it's given me a, a different perspective on the game again. Mm. And I, I know it will feed into my DMing. Yeah, quite often we you know, you DM until you tell us that you want a break from it. Yes. At which point we find something for one of us to run. For a bit. Increasingly yeah. me. But we will make Aaron and Joe and Tash eventually run something. <laughs> Yeah, just make Jamie run things now. Well, yeah, Jamie already DMs, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, yeah. uh, but yeah, don't feel that you have to. We wouldn't actually. Feel no, no, I'm to, to to do it. Um, I encourage to hype by Jamie. I will say as well. I mean, um, I think one of the things uh, we might want to talk about is like maybe our sort of some favourite experiences with other DMs. NGMs. Yes, that's on the list. But yeah. my God, we've been talking I know, for a t- long time. But I want to say, um, <laughs> I want to say that we had a dinner break. Um, the idea of you know a player becoming uh, encouraged to become uh, a GM or DM like you're, you're doing now mm-hmm. with these guys. Um, I got uh, one of my friends, uh, Rob Harris, into um, Numenera and uh, the Cipher system. Uh, sort of taught him how to play it, and he was he was in one of my campaigns for for a good long time, uh, playing on on World Twenty, and. For as long as I've known him, he's been really good at um, improv. He's got a really good sense of humour, um, and he's just a really quite entertaining person just to be around. And uh, I encouraged him to look into the idea of maybe GMing again. And he's the one who first picked up the Strange, which is the the other Cipher System game. Yeah. And kind of decided to give it a shot. And it turns out he's he's a great um, GM. He's really really good at it. Yeah. And I've only played a couple of games with him so far. I'm looking forward to playing some more yeah. sometime. But Encouraging your players maybe to consider becoming yeah. uh, DMs is a really good experience. I think tabletop role playing has that kind of 
because it's it's kind of like almost like an arcane art passed down from generation <laughs> to generation. It is something that's maybe difficult to get your head around until you've seen it in the flesh and then mm. it clicks and it makes mm. perfect sense. Um, but yeah, if you does he role play? Does he DM for a different group? He now, uh, I saw somewhere where he he has done some bits and pieces for other people. Yeah, so you kind um, of you've kind of mentored him and then sent him into the world yeah. and you're spreading the hobby love. Oh, yeah. the flinchlings. <laughs> yeah. Last one then. <laughs> Don't be afraid to steal. I have very occasionally, quite often, turned around to my gaming group and gone, Have you ever read these books? Mm. And they've all gone, No. And I've gone, Excellent. I've got loads of plot I can steal. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I ran a really long running um, Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 campaign um, that was based on the Wheel of Time books by Robert Jordan because nobody had read them so I just went I will take the idea of chosen ones being reborn in a little valley that's a bit like Wales that's been conquered by somewhere else Joe's eyes are expanding now yes this we mentioned it earlier in the podcast I took the basic scenario it then span off in slightly weird directions and wasn't like a complete retro because I didn't want to railroad but it gave me my inspiration, and then I started bringing in some other bits and pieces from other places. Which I mean, have. that's that's where you know role play has come from. I mean, initially, it's it's people being uh, back in the seventies obsessed with Tolkien, and and mm. you know wanting to bring the kind of Lord of the Rings style world into some type of game setting, mm. and and that's where you know Guy Gats was drawing a lot of inspiration. Yeah, I would yeah. very much like to thank um, my fellow critical twits, Aaron and Joe, who've mostly listened to. Me, Jamie, and Rob talking this <laughs> podcast. Uh, but you've given us some good insight from the other side. An extra special thanks to Tash, um, who, obviously not having much DMing experience, um, has also been very quiet. But also thanks to us, because we've shared loads of stuff, and we were really interesting and cool. <laughs> I only say things like this to wind you up, and then I realised, devoid of context on the internet, I'd probably sound like a douche. Um, but case in point, knowing your players, how yes. far can you push them? Yes. Um, cool. So, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'd love to hear some of your uh, stories, especially like your first go at DMing. How did it go? Um, if you've got any DMing queries, you can comment. Yeah. And uh, we've got some experienced DMs who will be able to sort of help you out, give you some tips. And if you are an experienced DM, maybe send us some of your tips. That'll be really useful. Yes, yeah. please. Yeah, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if we've said something and you go, oh my God, they're doing what? Please let us know. <laughs> Correct me. I need discipline. Um, <laughs> and spread the hand on head thing that yes. I'm demonstrating to a microphone. Yes. <laughs> so brilliant. But yeah. We will make it a worldwide thing. Just make yes. a fist on your forehead and talk like a normal person. You'll be fine. Yes. <laughs> and then you can have a crazy character voice for when you're doing crazy character exactly. things. Exactly. And this is why we don't let Brian do accents. No, I'm not allowed. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, just to say goodbye to everyone who has listened. Without offending an entire continent of people. It's not a singular country because he can't pinpoint where it comes <laughs> from. Where do you think I was aiming for? Uh, Australian. <laughs> I heard Italy. Italy. I gen- that was your generic European. Yeah. <laughs> a generic, yeah. sort of randomly European. If you want to be from anywhere around Europe, you kind of just go for that. Yeah, that was meant to be French because I was emboldened wow. by being French again. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to this back now. Uh, but yeah, yes, if, you can. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this, um, as Aaron desperately pleaded earlier, um, 
please like and uh, subscribe because then you can uh, see the more things we've done and let us know that you've actually enjoyed it. Um, and please, as we said, feel free to get in contact. You can find us, you might be on YouTube already, uh, but if not, we've got a brand new YouTube link. We're, we're proper, we've got our <laughs> own thing. So you can find us at youtube.com forward slash C, the letter C, uh, forward slash critical twits. We're all like official. Um, you can find us on Twitter, critical underscore twits, and you can find us at criticaltwits.com, which our technical officer Jamie has quite quite nicely made for us. It's there is so no shiny. end to the man's talents. <laughs> Tech's no better. wizard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you very much for listening. I've been Brian Ennis. I've been Aaron Vitsky. I've been Joe Lewin. I've been Jamie Myland. I've been Rob. And I've been Tash. We have been the Critical Twist. The Critical Twist? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired. Ah, we have been the Critical Twist. Um, Plus extras. Yes, we have Spanish. been... Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I was going Mexican. We have Close been enough. the Critical Twist. <laughs> um, we have been doing accents badly. Um, thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Aaron, say goodbye. Boy, I ain't putting an accent on. It there. <laughs> <laughs>